everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Do organ meats scare you? Well, they should because their nutritional value is scary good. But this week's guest, Ashley Van Houten, doesn't want you to fear what you don't understand. That's why she's feeding you the recipes that will make the idea of eating organ meats that much more digestible. If you think those shameless puns are bad, just take a gander at her book called It Takes Guts, now available on Amazon. It's safe to say that eating too much liver has never been a risk for anyone, unless your name is Tex, and you've overdosed on vitamin A because liver is cheap, and so are you. Here it is, the Muscle Maven herself, episode 449. Okay, we're adults. Power Athlete Nation, thank you for coming and listening to another episode of A Really Bitchin' Podcast. Where did they depart from to arrive to wherever they came? Um, the internet. Hmm. It's a, Speak, what is this thing? It's like a portal. <laughs> like, you know, they, they get in the internet, and next thing you know, they port over here. Mm-hmm. So there's webs. That, can you only port through portals? <laughs> <laughs> I think you can port anything. You port? can port a head. You can mm-hmm. port a cylinder. Are we talking starboard? You know what I'm talking about? McCulkin? Oh, starboard and port? <laughs> uh, port would be left side. Starboard would be right side. Mm. I did mm. not know that. Yeah, bow and stern. Mm-hmm. Everything. But um, we got a bitchin' podcast today. We have our good friend, Ashley... Ben Houghton. Ben Houghton. The Muscle Maven. The mm-hmm. Muscle Maven from Muscle Maven Radio. Yes, mm-hmm. that is correct. So she's got a bitchin' new book that's going into how to cook organ meats. And, dude, the pictures are awesome. Um, I'm, dude, and as you know, organ meats are near and dear to our hearts. That's right. So uh, we had one recently. She jumped episode on. Episode 399 was our first <laughs> organ meat episode. Yeah, that was a Q&A, right? Like yeah. someone asked, uh-huh. about organ what's, what's the deal with organ meats? I mean, I don't get it. <laughs> what's the deal with organ meats? <laughs> Ovaltine. The, and after that episode, she enjoyed what she heard and reached out. And then mm. we got her on. Yeah, because we were like, just slap some organ meats in the pan and you eat them. Uh, and giggity. And then she's like, well, I got this bitchin' book. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, dude, the pictures are really good. I, like, like I'm, I'm always impressed with a cookbook when the pictures, like, make me actually want to make the stuff. Like, you're reading it, and you're like, oh, and you see the picture, and you're like, God. You know what's even better than the pictures, John? The awful puns. hey oh. Well, it does take guts to venture into doing something like this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Each chapter, this is awesome, each chapter <laughs> title is its own pun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, For mm-hmm. example, eat your heart out or uh-huh. dessert. It's in our. It's in my blood. Mm-hmm. And then she uses blood to make the dessert. Yeah, to make the it. blood pudding. It's and then something about being the worst. Yeah. Oh yeah, liver the worst is the worst. Yeah, but it's but W-U-R-S-T. That's right. Yeah, no, Get it's, it? which everyone knows and is German for beer and sausage. <laughs> yeah. Well, as soon as soon as somebody says worst, I get this like uh, I start hearing like polka music in the back of uh-huh. my head from uh, Oktoberfest, and then Sweet Caroline, dun dun dun, seeing a yeah. bunch of drunk German people scream dun dun dun, <laughs> and then fall over is another mm-hmm. magical moment. God. Yeah, we, we do get into a little travel and some exploratory yeah. foods exotic. that we've all experienced. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, she is from an exotic land, Canada. So, hey, you know, sorry. also the home of Nickelback. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> Which we have a great Nickelback discussion. Yeah. How amazing they are. I, and I'm how much amazed. she enjoys their music. I'm just, amazed. Entire collection. I'm just amazed that Canada hasn't really just elevated Nickelback to Canadian royalty. I know. And if there's one thing our listeners should walk away with, if they don't make it through the whole episode, is Ashley... Loves Nickelback. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> loves yes. and and the one celebrates the whole collection. So there's a show on Netflix. It's called uh, Heartland, 
which is like a, a horse kind of rancher show from Canada. It's like a huge show in Canada. Okay. And um, somehow my daughters got onto it, and I was going to ask her, and I totally forgot. I'm like, are you a big Heartland fan? Huh. You're, you're one of the only Canadian people I've talked to recently, because when I uh, talked to my uh, my cousin recently, I asked her, and she's like, I've never heard of that show. <laughs> I'm like, well, my daughters love it, and it takes place mm-hmm. in Canada. And this and is the what reason, they believe Canada's and, like. And the only reason I know it's Canadian is because I know that these are awful Canadian actors, ah. and I've known them from other, sh- other shows. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. But no, I, I thought it was a, a excellent talk, and uh, I'm ready to dive in on organ meats. That's right. Learn a little bit about, about nutrition, about your, the approach, and about breaking down the barrier that, like, yes. that it seems so intimidating. But the what Ashley has done and provided for you in the book is, I guess, a systematic approach to work your way into some really jiggy, kind of um, like gateways. Awful, yeah. Kind of like uh, you know, maybe having a beer, and next thing you know, a couple of gateways later, you were um, snort, you know, smoking crack. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate the the way she presents. This is the only cookbook, honestly, I've ever looked at. <laughs> so I don't know how the rest of them are. This is, uh, there's no way. How? What am I cooking? Meat and do you know how many cookbooks are dead? Like, uh, um, I mean, r- sitting right there underneath all the booze, right there is the River Cottage Meat Book. Mm-hmm. Well, we're gonna have to drink gifted, all of it to get there. Gifted to me by Mr. Mark Ripto, mm-hmm. which and is also like the topic of a. Uh, Talk to me, Johnny. Post, yeah. Which, if you were a true disciple before your CrossFit football days, you would have that book as well. So yeah, the uh, River River Cottage Meat book is mm-hmm. like for me is the Bible. I mean, I uh, like there was probably about two or three years. I mean, I haven't cracked it in a couple because it's been sitting there. But man, like there were so many good recipes and like ways to like prepare lamb mm-hmm. and different stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, well, um, I'll have to look at the narrative. But I do appreciate Ashley. She's she's coaching you through these cooking and yeah. empowering you. To one, get over like oh my fear of organ mm-hmm. meats, and two, okay, here's how I want you, and then using that language mm-hmm. to empower you and coach you up, and share some stories with different recipes of where they originated, where she found them from. So cool experience mm-hmm. within the book, not just telling us what to eat. Yeah, and I guess to be clear, we enjoy the book. You should get the book. It's a good book to have on your yeah. shelf. Yeah, for no, sure. I, I've, I've yeah. never heard anybody regret having a bitch in cookbook. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, you know, if you're, you're obviously going to eat anywhere from one to five, six, seven times a day, depending on who you are. And it always is nice to go ever and reference something, especially if you buy something that's a little outside the norm. Totally. And you see something, you're like, oh, wait a minute. And I read about something. I know how to prepare it. And it's super nutritious. Like, that's the big thing is the, that's the catch 22 with this typically is like, I can't really palate it, but I know it's really nutritious and nutrient dense. Well, now you have no freaking excuse. But also system. be adventurous. Mm-hmm. And like if, the biggest, wings, if, if the biggest adventure you go on is like finding something that you don't normally eat and you want to add it, like I support it. Go yeah. out there, be in chief, be great, All right. be bold, be gone, be gone. <laughs> and scene. Go. scene, let's go with Ashley. Hunting season just ended here in Texas and I shot a pretty nice uh, deer probably about three weeks ago when I took it to the processor. My deal is always super basic. I want the, the tenderloins and the back straps complete, and I want everything else turned into ground, including all the organ meats and everything. And when I said it, the dude like looked up at me and was like, huh? And I was like, that's not common? And he's like, no, it's actually tremendously uncommon. And I was like, dude, I want the hearts. I want everything. Throw it all in the ground. Throw it all big. And then you know, separate it out into like you know, one and two pound packages, however you do it. And um, the funny part is, is uh, I'll take that, and I mix that with like uh, ground buffalo or ground beef or any stuff we get from Stay Classy. And then I'll pull out, and that's actually what I end up feeding my dogs. So I get like a, a pound of that, and I mix it, and then I give them a pound, and they actually just crush it. So I feed them for probably two or three months every year on a bunch of the uh, you know venison that we shoot. So it's um, 
but yeah, the, I just remember like recently telling the guy like, Hey, I want all like uh, the hearts. I want our, um, all the organs, everything mixed in and just kind of in, in the ground. And the dude's like head shot up at me. I'm like, that's pretty uncommon. And he's like, yeah, nobody wants that shit. I'm like, well, yeah. well give me theirs, throw extra <laughs> in there. Well, it's interesting, too, because one of the things that I learned researching this book, I assumed that a lot of the stuff was being wasted because we didn't want it and we didn't want to eat it. It turns out, I mean, most of it is not being wasted. It's being used for other things or even sometimes organs are sent to so for like pet food or maybe they're even exported to places like Mexico where people eat this kind of stuff and enjoy it and they're going to make use of it. But so that made me feel a little bit better, but it was still kind of one of these things where it's like, it's like you're putting together a bouquet of flowers and you chop off the flowers and put the stem in the vase. And that's, that's what you're giving to people. That's what you're doing when you're mm-hmm. throwing out like the best, most nutrient parts and most nutrient dense parts, just because they're unfamiliar to you or cause you don't really know what to do with it. It's, it's just, it's a waste. If we've decided, look, we're going to kill animals and eat them. Like let's make good use of it. Right. Yeah. The, the age old nose tail. Um, I did a speaking engagement. She's in 2010 with Rob Wolf and Lauren Cordain. And uh, before well, we were sitting there the night before, kind of going over our prezos and kind of just getting to just hanging out, having a drink. Lauren pulled up his computer and was showing us these pictures uh, that were from like 1850, 1840. And they were of these uh, guys that were actually buffalo hunters that were out there killing the buffalo. And they actually showed these buffalo hunters with Native Americans. And the notation on the back was um, the, you know, the Indians went over and were able to, or cut out the liver and the heart and the organs and sat there to consume them. Like I, I'm basically paraphrasing the, the notation, but it was basically they ate seven pounds of liver right as the animal died. They sliced it open, and the picture was these dudes standing there with the rifles and their beards, and then these Indians with these huge distended guts with blood all over their face and bellies. And on the back, they consumed seven pounds of liver. I guess they went over and just cut it out and just started eating it, and they would just gorge themselves on it. And he showed me a series of these pictures, and like... It was pretty interesting to be like, you know, how far we are removed from, you know, these guys knew that, you know, like the uh, diet of uh, rabbits and, you know, a diet of just meat was, you know, not sustainable for them through the winter. And this is what was really the most nutrient, the best stuff and the stuff they ate first. Yeah. And that's before they had Google, you know, you couldn't Google and say, what's the most nutrient dense part of the animal? What's the most nutrient dense cut? Like people just knew it, you know, Mm -hmm. you just knew what you were doing. And now I think we almost maybe rely too heavily on, uh, research or, or seeing what other people say instead of paying attention to how we feel when we eat or just paying things, attention right? to uh some old wives tales like um yeah. i you know like uh luke's a you know new dad i got three kids chris not yet soon maybe one of these days but like i remember hearing all like the old wives tales of like uh you know raising kids and this and, and everything and uh, for the most part they tended to be pretty true like, you know, like the old doula and stuff. So I think that's pretty good. But uh, before we get rocking any farther, can you give us a little bit of background on how you got into this, where you're from, your background, and more importantly, what made you write this incredibly puntastic book? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have like a very cool sort of like elevator pitch of how I kind of got to, to where I am. I don't really have like a awesome light bulb moment that got me into this industry, but I just, I've always been into um, fitness and human performance. I just liked it as a hobby always. Um, you know, I grew up watching like American Gladiators and Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. I have older brothers. So um, I always liked kind of physicality and seeing what people were capable of. I didn't consider myself much of an athlete at all until I, um, got out of university because I, I wasn't really like a team sport person. I did like gymnastics growing up. I was a swimmer, 
things like that. But I, I, you know, I didn't really take it too seriously. And then when I got out of university, I, you know, found CrossFit as everyone does, um, which then led me into things like powerlifting and eventually bodybuilding and some other things. Um, and as I was doing this for fun, I was academically doing communications and um, PR and things like that. And I was in a corporate environment which I soon determined I didn't really like. And so I had kind of like a 10 year period of trying to meld the things that I was learning about on my own time anyway, that I liked, which was nutrition and fitness and performance and all of those things and kind of combine it with the things I was good at, which was writing and communicating and that kind of thing. So over time, I was able to kind of quit my real job and uh, become a journalist. And I was a writer for a bunch of different publications. And that led me to kind of having my own podcast. Um, and uh, more recently, this book, which really actually was not a typical book writing venture at all. I, I, from the moment that I kind of conceived it to the moment that it was out there in the world was like less than a year, which mm. is not typical. Um, but I think that the fact that I did it in the pandemic is what kind of made it work. But I was at a, um, like a fitness conference. I think it was like keto con or something like a year ago. And I was hanging out with some friends who were authors and they were cookbook writers. And I was talking to them and I had one of those moments of like, look, if these people, these, everybody's writing a cookbook, I can write a cookbook. I have a, I have a good idea. Mm-hmm. Cause at the time I had been, I had been, well, I, I was, I guess my background nutritionally is more like paleo. So I'd written for paleo magazine for like seven or eight years. And that was sort of the big kind of nutrition light bulb moment I had when I got out of university, you're sort of in your twenties, you're realizing that you actually need to care a little bit about what you eat or else you're going to have some consequences, you know, mid twenties when that starts catching up with you. Mm. Um, And around that time I discovered this ancestral health, you know, Rob Wolf, Mark Sisson, Lauren Cordain, and it just made so much sense to me. It still does. I, I get why people are turned off by, you know, trendy fads and names and people roll their eyes at keto or carnivore or what does paleo mean? You eat like a caveman. Like I understand why people kind of get turned off, but I think if you if you dig a little deeper and you understand what the concept is, which as we were kind of alluding to earlier, it's like eating whole foods, eating unprocessed food, eating food that our bodies recognize, it just seems like such a common sense starting point for most people. Mm -hmm. Right. And then from there, you know, depending on your goals or your physiology or your unique challenges, you can kind of play with it from there. Um, but I had been eating that way for a long time. And it was only recently that I started kind of taking it a step further to this whole nose to tail side and saying, look, if I'm going to, if I'm going to eat a lot of animals, which I do, I'm very protein forward. If I'm going to, to, that way. I want to do it in a way that's sustainable and ethical and making the most use of the animal and also benefiting me the most. Mm. Um, and that's what organ meats do. So I was kind of playing around with like liver recipes and heart recipes. And I was posting about it on social media and I was getting a lot of people sending me barf emojis and asking <laughs> me why. Man, we um, have way different audiences because I posted up one of my heart recipes and people were on it, like all about it. So we must have a little bit well, of a different, uh, it's market. starting to switch though. It's starting oh, to switch. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm glad that I'm on your show, because if you have people who are a little bit more open to this, but I, I think it is one of those things that's like a consistency of familiarity thing. Like I think, um, just going off track a little bit, I think one of the, the big kind of components of this book for me and this journey for me is being healthier, but also just like being open-minded, just being willing to try new things mm-hmm. and not not thinking that everything that's unfamiliar or new is bad. I think that that's also sort of a, 
instinctive ancestral thing that we sometimes do, our lizard brains that doesn't always help, right? As mm -hmm. you see something unfamiliar and you think this is a threat or it's bad or it's weird or it's different and that's a negative thing. And I want people to, to think like, oh, look at this dish that I've never tried before. Like, that's cool. Like, let me try some instead of, I haven't tried it before. It must be gross. You know what I mean? So yeah. anyway, so I was playing around with that stuff and I started thinking like, maybe there's something here because if you Google organ meat cookbooks, there's probably like five. And if you Google paleo cookbooks, there's 5,000. So I was like, all right, maybe I have like an opportunity here, a niche. And, you know, maybe it'll never be a New York Times bestseller, but the people who are into this will be very interested in it. So I was writing it on my own. I'm like, if I have to self-publish this, that's what I'm going to do. And it just kind of worked out that I was speaking to a friend of mine who was working with a publisher that was, you know, um, dealt with these kinds of books. And she said, this is, you know, this makes sense. Like, this seems like a good idea. Let me run it by my guy at the publishing company. And a week later, he reached out to me. And a week after that, I had a contract. And eight months after that, the first draft was in and it just kind of rolled very quickly from there. Awesome. Um, and it's, I think part of it was my own, I was just naive. I didn't know how long it took to write a book. I was just like, you know how it goes. Like the, the work will fit the time you give it. Right. So I was like, all right, if I do this very quickly, it'll be done very quickly. And uh, it ended up being in the pandemic. So it, it worked out because a lot of my work was changing and all of our schedules were changing and mm -hmm. I had to sit in my house for a long time. So yeah, I was yeah. playing with a lot of recipes and I was sitting at my desk and writing for a long time. But um, I've really noticed over time, the difference in, like you said, John, like people who are like, okay, this is weird, but like, kind of tell me a bit more about it. Or I bought some hearts and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And so people who are just willing to, to try things and they're seeing that I'm maybe not that scary or weird or different than they are. And so they're just sort of willing to give it a shot. And that's, that's really all I want. I want people to be healthier. I want people to be open-minded and I, I just want people to kind of challenge the arbitrary notions that just because something's different, it's weird. Like, look, you're cutting off this part of the animal and eating it. No problem. But mm -hmm. this part over here is weird and extreme to you. Like let's evaluate that. Let's think about it a little bit. See, and, I don't think, I don't yeah. think the mass the mass thinks of it even like cutting a piece of an animal off. You know, we talk a yeah. little bit about just gr on the grand scale, people are a little disconnected from the source of their yeah. food. And then I also think there's a, there's, I don't even know where to begin with this one, but if you were to ask, I bet you, if you were to ask 10 people, why do you eat food? Their answer would probably be like, because I'm hungry. You know what I mean? And then within the paradigm that we've created here at Power Athlete is, no, 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 food is fuel. Like the only reason you're eating food you know, in that performance, we call it a performance whore, like in that performance whore persona is so you can train hard. And the only reason you're training hard is so when you go on the field and you're in that competitive arena, you outperform the opposition. And like, if that's a mindset that we've been able to in install, I guess, into our followers. So that's why when they see More a like heart effect, I like, yeah, I like to think fact. of infect or almost like uh, inception. We've in uh, what about <laughs> vaccinating them again? They're like oh, vaccinate. I'm just. Trying to be funny here enough. We've in, I'd say we've uh, we've incepted them. <laughs> indoctrinate. Yeah. In, uh, indoctrinate, kind of like in uh, the Men in Black when they flash. Yes, it. we've yeah. done that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but none of that sounds positive, guys. No. Indoctrinate. It's not <laughs> good. If you, just, yeah, um, if you just keep doing it over and over yeah. and over and over yes. and over. Yeah. No. Uh, but right. the point being is, like, as you as you look at food and you see it as sustenance in nutrients yeah. and you realize that like you said about whether it's carnivore or paleo, it's about nutrient density. And then you start to think like, okay, here's a lump of stuff that has no nutrient density. Here's a lump of stuff that has tons of nutrient density. 
like that all of a sudden appeals to me. You know, uh, but I mean, yeah. you're talking about the paradigm of like uh, how people view food. And I think that's what's most interesting is uh, I always looked at food like for performance. Like, hey, this mm-hmm. is fuel. It's going to make me bigger and stronger. Whereas other people look at food as a reward. Like yeah. I did good today. Let me do this. Um, yeah, I, and, yeah. And, and, and so like for me, like that was a really interesting mindset. Um, well, what's, what's even more interesting, too, and I was going to talk to you about uh, like, you know, you used to write for the Paleo uh, magazine and we're kind of in that circle. I think it's really fascinating when I first heard the term paleo was probably like 1999 from uh, Mauro De Pasquale, so another Canadian uh, doctor, and I worked with Mauro on all my diet stuff, and he was like, I wrote the anabolic book and, you know, the metabolic book and was kind of the father of carb cycling. And he, you know, talked about like, hey, real foods, and it really kind of uh, paired up with the old powerlifter I trained with, who was buddies with like Vince Garanda and the Stone Age diet. And, you know, if it's from a vending machine, don't eat it, which goes back to like the Jack Lane. So you can kind of follow this, mm-hmm. this trend. And um, when I first met Rob and we started kind of talking about this, I was like, oh, yeah, no, this makes a lot of sense. And then all of a sudden it was weird. Like as it started taking fold, all of a sudden there became this like mysticism yep, yep. where all of a sudden these people who had no fucking idea what they were talking about started applying magic and like these calories go in and magic happens. And then all of a sudden, well, this is paleo, but I'm like, yeah, but that's 400 grams of honey. Like well, <laughs> honey is, you know, but they're like, but it's paleo. I'm like, yeah, so is dog shit and snake venom. Like, but like, yeah. you know, we got to be smart here. And like, I mean, it, yeah. it was the so crazy. You're, you're a- you're applying like humans to a concept, right? So it's going to get fucked up. Am I allowed to swear? Like, yeah, you know, swear people, all you want. yeah, people, Damn, this is what happened. You have like oh, a good idea <laughs> and then people take it and they take it further. And then some weirdo comes in and takes it in a different direction. Then it's bastardized. I mean, you look at, I'm sure you guys have been to paleo effects at least once. I mean, we don't no, need to go down that road, but that, re- okay. So I anyway, I refuse to go to it. Uh, I, I, I jumped the shark. Is well, that the right well, way to no, say it? I, I knew Keith and uh, Michelle uh, before. And uh, I remember the very first one when they pitched it to us to come and they wanted us to speak. I was like, Ah, kind of like my age old um, Goodwill hunting moment. Well, it's like, well, at least it won't be unoriginal. You know, like it just always felt cheesy. And I, and I know that it, and every year Rob went, he's like, it's just getting weirder and weirder. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is it went from, you know, there's good and bad to all of these things when you get a bunch of like weird health people together. But it did really go from a gathering that was attempting to share information and, and talk about a concept that's going to help make people healthier to everybody's doing coffee enemas and wearing glasses and barefoot and doing weird seances and, and ayahuasca. shit. Like it, 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 yeah, it got really weird. So talk to me about this coffee enema. <laughs> So, I don't know it personally. I yeah. prefer to drink coffee. I, I, yeah, um, I, yeah, I like to but take. But could it, you do both? Is what I'm getting w- at. I to think, maximize the I think effects of coffee, you can do anything you want. Mm. Yeah, I, that's I, accurate. I, I, I just, uh, um, it, and, and it was really weird because as, uh, like, and then it was even like the keto stuff. I mean, uh, like, you know, through Mara, we had done cyclical ketogenic diets. We had um, uh, who was our buddy from the Charlie Foundation. Um, Jim Abrams. Yeah, Jim Jim Abrams on. And like, you know, Ken Ford, who's the Institute of Human and Machine Cognition. Ken has been, you know, ketogenic since he was like, he's in his 60s now since he was about 10 years old because he had had seizures. And so there was always this like understanding of keto. And then all of a sudden that got into the mysticism. And like, it's now like the carnivore stuff, which uh, Luke made a great comment. He's like carnivore. And like the way they were explaining, he's like, he's like it just sounds like rich guy. I want to eat filet for every meal from mm-hmm. Costco diet. Oh, yeah. And then like. Yeah, you know, which is fine. Like I appreciated more like the nose to tail car, uh, carnivore where you're like, hey, you know, like there's mm-hmm. nutrients and like vitamins and minerals and like there's different things within different parts of the animal. And you have to kind of do this 
uh, you know, nose to tail to really get the thing. If I just mm-hmm. go eat fillets every day, I'm just the dude that eats fillets every day. And I'm also intrigued by like, you know, when Rob was talking about it, man, was it like a year, two years yeah, ago? a couple years ago. There are people who ha- like are really sick and it helps them and they're monitoring yes. blood work and yeah. biomarkers to determine versus like, oh, you know, I want to shed 20 pounds. I'm going to eat some fillet. But that's every day that goes back to the metabolic flexibility talk I gave mm-hmm. at the uh, um, NSCA that talked about if you're so metabolically broken that only one element, one micro or macronutrient is the only thing that you can digest. Like you're pretty metabolically broken. And now here's a special case where, yes, this works. But I mean, we know the most metabolically flexible people can eat the greatest diverse diet without sickness. So, I mean, you're mm-hmm. basically I'm fucked. Now I have to narrow this to try to unfuck myself and like it. But then the problem is they're a unique use case. But then what they do is this works should work for everybody. Apply it, yeah. Yeah. The and and is, then they extrapolate it out. And that to me is where I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a unique. You're you're metabolically broken. You, you found something that works for you. Don't try to convince everybody else they're metabolically <laughs> broken and they have these issues. Yeah. If they're metabolically yeah. healthy. Human beings are not good at nuance. They aren't. We're much better in the extremes. We're much better at being told you should only eat meat and nothing else. If you eat anything else, you're an idiot or, you know, free for all, live like you're going to die tomorrow. Like we have a really hard time with balance and moderation and figuring out our personalized nutrition, which is why unsexy approaches like eat a balanced diet and do the work to figure out what that looks like for you mm-hmm. never works. People want to be told eat this one thing or never eat a carb again. Or, you know, we want to be told these extreme things because it's a lot easier for human beings to follow a specific set of rules than to kind of do the work themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or like for whatever reason, it's just not commonplace to look under the hood and get the blood work done, uh, yeah. you know, and do some micronutrient testing and like, well, the um, food sensitivity testing. It's like we, we found this years ago. You remember where people were getting their supplement re- recommendations from the bro at the gym. Mm-hmm. Hey, I took this supplement and I got better. So you should take that supplement too. But and use code bro 69. <laughs> it's like, okay. Like I, and I used to hear this all the time. Oh, I, um, I took uh, zinc and magnesium and these things and I got stronger. I took them. Nothing happened. How come? Well, maybe he was micronutrient deficient in such a way. Uh, you don't have that same deficiency, so it's not going to work. I mean, you need zinc, magnesium, iron, selenium, and copper to basically make testosterone. So if you're low on those, it's going to be more difficult. Uh, you know, and then people are like, well, I took it and I still don't see anything. Well, do you have any low level gut inflammation that's binding up receptor sites? It's causing those nutrients to not be absorbed. And like all of these, you know, different like locks and keys that you step down, it's just easier to be like, these foods are magic. Yeah. And these foods or are these evil. foods are evil. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Like that's my yeah. favorite one. Like, well, these foods are bad. And I'm like, well, by bad, you mean that they steal your car? Did they break in and like, you know, <laughs> steal your money? Like define bad chicken. And it's like, uh, like it's, it's, um, and, and you, you know, coming from a communications uh, background, you obviously know that there's these hot words and these buttons that you attach to things and you're able to kind of, you know, put things into these buckets to kind of, you know, make people fear them in such a way instead of looking at this stuff and taking a step back and being like, this sounds insane. I think I really think that my inability to be that insane and, and provocative is what is like holding me back from selling more books. Because <laughs> if you if you again, if you kind of look at like the online landscape right now, the people who get the most attention are the people who are 
overly provocative just for the sake of, of getting eyes on them. Right. And I, I see how it works. I see that that's always going to be human nature because that's what our brains and our eyes do. And I just kind of refuse to, to go that route. Cause I just such a slippery slope. Sure. And I also feel like a, another kind of thing that I'm seeing a lot in the like nutrition world online is similar to everything else these days, how divisive it all is. Like, it's always like, I'm right, you're wrong. This is good. This is bad. If you don't believe me, you're stupid, which not only is just kind of a negative space to be in, but also from like a psychology perspective, it doesn't work. It doesn't work to tell people they're stupid. Mm -hmm. That doesn't fix, it doesn't fix it, you know? So as much as I may want to go online and like rant to people who like only eat, I don't know, whatever, beyond meat burgers and tofu and stuff and get super pissed off at them and tell them how dumb they are. Like that's, it doesn't change people's behavior. So like what I try to do instead is just put out the information that I think is useful and be there to answer questions. I'm not like throwing my opinion out into the world left and right, because I just don't think it adds to anything. I'm just, I prefer to kind of live by example and do what I think, what I think is right. And if people want to learn from me or if people want to talk to me about it, I'm happy to do it. But I just, I just don't think it, it gets you attention. I just don't know if it makes, if it moves the needle in the way you want it to over the long term. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody's ever won an argument on the internet. Like I'm pretty, well, yeah. I'm pretty convinced that like people go into these like nuanced arguments and they're trying to like compare in this with the idea that they're going to somehow convince somebody of something and they never convince anybody of anything. Because as yeah. soon as you, you give some well-formulated argument, people take, you know, make in, uh, ad hominem attacks and this and they dig in their heels instead of like, and it, I, it's funny, I had a great talk, uh, Rob and I always talk about this, but recently he's like, you know, it almost feels like the dumber people are, the more they stick their heels in. And it's almost like an intelligence test when somebody's like, oh, okay, I hear what you're saying and I can view it from that point of view. Have you thought of this where you can have like this nuanced kind of back and forth conversation to evolve? And he's like... He's like, those are almost rare. I mean, that's like finding a diamond in like, a, you know, a, you know, on the beach somewhere. Mm -hmm. But he's like, yeah, for the most part, people get into this stuff. They're, they're going in not to necessarily have an intelligent argument to expand their horizons. They're going in for validation on something. And when yeah. they don't get validation, they dig their heels in. And then it becomes this like personal attack on them instead of like, Okay, let's look at this. And and it and but it it's not like uh, stuck to one group. I mean, the vegans are as bad as the other people on the other side with the carnivores. I mean, it's both. They're like all the, bad. Yeah. Well, it it and bad. it's it, it's like like and we've been preaching for the for years the the least non crazy the the least non crazy person approach to to nutrition is probably something that looks like real food, balanced macros, foods aren't evil, and just not eating like an asshole. And being creative and not eating the same thing for every meal and like all these little pieces. But unfortunately, like you said, that doesn't that sell doesn't books. Sell meal plans. Nope, it does not. I think I think a positive spin on this though, on the sort of um, sadness of human nature sometimes, is that we gotta go back to the concept that evolution happens in tiny well i guess it not always but it generally happens in tiny increments right so what we do is we have our our belief and we go out there and we try to find the person who's the opposite and change their mind right which as we know doesn't work but instead and what i'm trying to do maybe with this book like i'm not trying to get vegans to buy this book i am right. not trying to get vegans to eat kidney at all i'm speaking to the vast majority of north americans and, and people in the world who eat some meat like we eat meat we accept it we're cool with it we understand that we're part of the life cycle we're not separate from it 
those people who still think eating meat on the bone is gross and hunting is icky and, you know, organ meats are extreme. Those are the people that I think we can work with because they're closer to our sort of the way we already think. So it's about making minor changes. It's about dipping your toe in the water. It's about just trying something that's a little bit out of your comfort zone instead of diametrically opposed to what you already believe. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's how you start to, and again, I don't want to make it seem like I'm just out here trying to always win people over. I mean, I guess I kind of am, but I just feel like that's the way to do it is like little, and that's how everybody changes behavior, right? That's how you start to eat a little bit healthier. That's how you become fitter is like these little incremental consistent steps. It's not trying to change somebody's complete world overnight, right? And that's that's what I took away from that first chapter of your book. You are aiming to empower the person that is ready. And yeah. you have different scales, skill level of recipes in there that show, okay, and how I'm looking at this is these are the beginner recipes, the gateways, the gateway, the opportunity yeah. for me to build some confidence with this skill set in the kitchen mm-hmm. combined with exploring different foods that I normally would not. So there yeah. is some fear and I can feel it in the kitchen already, but then <laughs> there is some confidence that now I can go and take this. This is my first what, ever cookbook. What? Uh, what? Text, That's text, awesome. Text, oh my God. Awesome. I love that. What, um, and I'll, I'll ask you guys on this, like what organ would be the most scary to you and what would be the least scary what, on the In terms scale? of eating or prepping? B- both. Like, like if I was to say, hey, like, okay, we have everything from like brain to heart what to animal? liver to kidneys well, I'm good on liver. Uh, to animal? stomach to entrails. Like, I mean, everything that's not striated, uh, striated meat. Um, I, you want uh, bison or a bison, elk, uh, some big, probably, some big rudiment, the, like, some big rudiment, the sex organs. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> testicles or brain. <laughs> have you ever okay. uh, um, Rocky Mountain oysters? No, no, they're oh. delicious. Yeah, they're delicious. You guys they're are delicious. so they weird. Are I'm like, you lost like me. A barbecue sauce. <laughs> this book's in, awful. I'm just kidding. Barbecue actually. sauce. There's no testicles in, in there, mostly because I couldn't find it. That's so weird. There's no testicles in this room either. No. What are you talking about? Burned yourself. Oh, wait. I mean, you know what I mean. Well, uh, we had a crockpot full of barbecue sauce. And my roommate in college cooked, uh, um, he, he grew up in central California, like down near Tascadero and came back with this like huge bag frozen of basically balls mm-hmm. and dumped them in the yeah. crock pot. And like, they were absolutely delicious. Hey man, I'm just answering your question. That one kind of scares me. And I don't know why it does. Like it just does. Yeah. Uh, well, and I don't doubt it's probably like, it's probably a delightful little dish. Te- Tex. All right. Which one? So, so you're going with brain, which, brain and balls. Brain balls. <laughs> like I don't is brain edible? I, not okay. human brains. Well, <laughs> yeah, that remains to be seen. We're not we're not you know, we're not willing to try it who out. But anyway. On, who did we have on the podcast? So that was Lalandi. Yeah, it was long Matt Lalandi time ago. Yeah, when, when we were joking about the uh, the zombie apocalypse and he's like, Yeah, don't eat brain. Yeah, and, never eat the human and, brain. And then like, he, why? Went off, he went off on like a twenty minute <laughs> tangent of all the uh, uh, diseases and weird neurological problems you had you could have from con- uh, consuming a human brain and we were like I'm never joking with this fucking guy again. (laughs) Another Canadian. We're the Uh, best. I did say, like, I did say at one point on social media, I'm like, find me the person who eats meat, but, like, is squeamish about handling it, and that's the first person I'm going to eat in, like, the apocalypse, because (laughs) I'm just like, come on, guys. Like, you're not going to make it if you can't. Anyway. But I will say, going back to the brain thing and the intimidation of different organs, because I had to go through all of this, too. Like, I, I was working my way through this while I was making the book, so I had a lot of moments of, like, what am I doing? This is 
creepy or weird or terrifying and I had to get through it myself. The brain was a bit weird just because I, I do find that the organs that are the most recognizable are the most intimidating. So I would say for me, tongue was actually the most intimidating mm. to to prep. It was one of the most delicious organs to yeah. eat. It's mm -hmm. fantastic, but it looks, I mean, if you get a bison tongue, like it's two and a half pounds of just a straight up tongue. Like it's a tongue. It's got taste buds on it. It feels like a tongue. It's a lot. I have and, one you know, for Tex in my yeah. freezer. It's delicious. It's and so it's delicious. A, it's a trophy. Yeah, I want to bet. <laughs> yeah, he won a bet. We bet uh, a massive, these guys, uh, state, state class, he sent me a massive buffalo tongue that I have in my freezer, and we bet on it. And uh, I'm excited to give it to him to have him cook, and now he has a cookbook. That's exactly, you, I know. <laughs> this is you so are going to be very happy. When you get through, mm -hmm. when you get through the initial process, you're going to be very happy with the end result because it is one of the tastiest cuts of an animal, period. Um, but the first time that I had to, like, defrost and, like, hold a giant tongue in my hand, and then you have to <laughs> boil it, and then you have to cut off the outer layer, like, it yeah. is it's a thing um the brain actually wasn't so bad i don't know i mean it definitely looks like a brain but it's really it, that one wasn't as intimidating for me but i think um yeah it's getting past like that uh, initial sort of discomfort but it kind of goes back to what we were saying before about um you know how we food is fuel it's not it doesn't have to be just like this ultra pleasurable experience every time like i kind of have two opinions about eating organ meats that I talk about in the book. And one is that you just need to know how to prepare it properly. Like if you grew up eating boiled Brussels sprouts, no one likes that. Everyone hates Brussels sprouts, but you were told to eat it because it was healthy and you ate it because it was healthy. And then when you were an adult, you figured out more delicious ways to eat Brussels sprouts and it's all good, right? It's the same thing with liver. Like if you ate gross, boiled, tough liver growing up, yeah, it's gonna be gross. So figure out another way to make it so that you can enjoy it because it's very good for you and it's healthy and you should try it. But also if it doesn't taste like a Big Mac, like grow up, you're an adult, like you're <laughs> fueling your body. Like you shouldn't be eating Big Macs for every meal. Like that's not what a, a adult who wants to look, feel and perform well does, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm of two minds of it. I'm like, look, just figure it out. Just do some experiments, try some recipes. You'll find something that's delicious. And if you don't like eat it anyway, because you should, you know, we, that's like, growing yeah. up. It was once a month we had liver and onions. My mom always told me that the, the something acid in the onion actually neutralizes the taste in the liver. And so you cook them together. And so it was like once a month we had liver and onions and then we would have goulash and like we had like these four things that would like you know everything would float but we had these staples and one of them was liver and onions and then uh she would do kidneys but she would soak them in milk yeah and it was funny um a couple of years ago, I got a bunch of organ meats, and I was like, ah, you know what? I don't want to soak them. I'm just going to throw the kidneys in the crock pot. Oof, woof, and then I, <laughs> I cooked them with like bone broth and a bunch of salt and everything, and I mm -hmm. got them out. I took one cut, and I was like, these mm. taste like urine. And then I yeah. remembered why my mom soaked them. And, it, yeah. you know, like, so there is some really interesting ways. Like, when we were down in Argentina, we taught, um, you know, we used to work with, in the CrossFit Circle with the CrossFit Football Seminar. We taught a bunch down in Argentina, and our, the guys that were hosting us at the gym, one of the guys owned a churrascaria, we showed up and I was like, man, just give us the most authentic shit you yeah, can. Sweet. So he's like, what we do for appetizers is all the stuff that's not meat, we just fry and cook and, and we're just going to make it into epic stuff. So they brought out all the entrails, all the organs and all these, you know, on these huge platters. And I was like, man, let's just eat everything. And then by the time they brought out the other stuff, we were like, we're fucking stuffed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, Prepping you know. makes a difference for sure. Um, and, you know, another thing, too, that I tell people is like you don't have to love every single 
piece of organ meat. You don't have to love all awful. It's just about kind of being willing to try it and pick and choose and find the stuff that you like. Like I'll be the first to admit, I've got probably four or five kidney recipes in there. I don't really enjoy kidney that much. I did a lot with it and I, you know, soaked the hell out of it too, because it's a very strong, challenging flavor. I don't particularly enjoy it. I can eat beef liver all day long, which Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people find hard to stomach. So it really just kind of depends on, you got to play around with it, but there's so many options. Like if you look at a, a broken down um, beef, like I think it's like 40% is like off bone cuts and the rest is everything else, right? So there's a lot to, to work with. Like people think of organ meats and they think liver, maybe heart, maybe kidney, right? But then you've got, as you said, you've got tongue, which is delicious. It's like one of the most crowd pleasing meats once it's prepared by mm-hmm. someone else and you don't have to deal with it and brain and tripe and, you know, spleen and I mean, it, you know, there's a lot to choose from. You don't have to, you don't, if you hate kidney, that's fine. I, I'm not eating a lot of kidney these days and I'm okay with it. My favorite is, uh, I got a huge, like five pound Buffalo heart that uh state classy sent me and I cut it up and I, I put it in the crock pot for like 40 hours. I think I cooked it like on high and then I just like let it warm for like two days and it cooked down and was like so perfectly striated that you could peel it apart. And so I peeled a whole bunch of it and the kids absolutely slayed it. And they were like, that's the best thing. And it was funny. My wife was looking at me and she's like, don't tell them. I'm like, I gotta fucking tell them. So I got to the <laughs> end and I was after. like, yeah. I, well, and I, I said, I'm like, dude, they were like, that is so good. We should have that every week. I'm like, you know, it's heart. They were like, Ugh. and I'm like, you guys are going to get, them. it's going to sneak it in on you. Mm-hmm. See hearts, my favorite hearts, my favorite. That's the one that I recommend to the most people. Because again, if we're trying to make some of these, like, or, or erase some of these arbitrary conclusions that we make, we're okay with eating muscle meat generally. Organs, not so much because they're a different texture and they're an organ and it's weird. Heart is an organ and a muscle. Mm -hmm. So it is muscle meat as well. So it has that kind of beefy texture that is easier. It tastes a little bit stronger maybe, but it has that texture that makes sense to people that people can kind of get their head around. So that's always the thing I recommend first for people is heart. It's still super nutrient dense. Like everyone talks about liver being kind of like the the king, but heart is also very nutrient dense. My favorite recipe in the book that I think you guys should try if you've got some big hearts in your freezer is um, it's we just a roasted. There's, yeah. there's three big yeah, hearts there's three in this big room. Hearts on the oh, side of the that, isn't that sweet? Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, dorks. no, it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a roast beef heart that you basically, you know, you cut, you stuff with whatever is delicious. So in this case, I think I put um, bacon, mushroom, and onion, mm-hmm. and then you wrap it up in some uh, cooking twine, and then you, um, you sear it on a cast iron skillet. You put it in the oven for like 40 minutes. And then it comes out and it's like this delicious slice roast that would be great on like a Thanksgiving dinner table. Mm, and it looks delicious. impressive, but it was so easy. I'm like, this mm-hmm. was one of those ones that I was making. And I'm like, I don't know what this is going to look like. And it was great. And people were like, wow, this actually looks kind of impressive. And I'm like, mm-hmm. there you go. Did you take the delicious. pictures in the book? So my girlfriend um, took the pictures. This was a very bootstrapped book because although I did. <laughs> they look amazing. It, like yeah, I, uh, yeah. food, food is by heart. Uh, I have a buddy, uh, Kimo, who's uh, like a big photographer. And I remember I was talking to him like, what's the most difficult thing to shoot? And he's like, food. Yeah, he's and like, organ meat is, specifically. Yeah, he's like, okay? food is, Try it. You is, can take a picture is, of like an acai bowl and it's like full of fruit and it's pretty. Try taking a picture of kidney and making that right, look right. not yeah. gross, okay? So yeah, I give her so much credit, but she is she was an amateur, you know, photographer that just had a good camera and I wasn't willing for my first book to pay a professional photographer 25 sure. grand. So I said, "Hey, do you want to do this with me?" and it ended up being wonderful because she's one of my like dearest friends and we had such a great time together and She um, ate the food. 
she ate some of it. She's she was good because she was a friend of mine who was a little bit more meat centric as well. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to like deal with her like gagging while she, while I you know was putting the food together. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember like we were taking these pictures during the pandemic because I was writing it, and then sort of the pandemic hit and everything was shut down. We weren't allowed to be together. And I remember we kind of started back up again, like later in the spring and I would like be making these meals and I'd bring them over to her house and we'd have to do it on her back deck. And because we live in Canada, it's like snowing on the food and shit. It was just like a nightmare. But I remember thinking like, these are the, these are the days that we'll look back and like laugh and think it was funny, even though it's horrible at the time. Um, but there are a couple of pictures. I think if you look closely, what, what looks like Malden salt is probably snow. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, they, uh, like, like the pictures are always, you know, like, I mean, obviously the recipes have to be good but it's funny i remember um you know growing up so like from the time i was probably four or five years old uh, i was my mom's like a a kitchen assistant and my mom would tell me as a kid she's like you got to learn to cook girls aren't going to know to cook you're going to starve so like from Mm -hmm. the time i was four my job was to cut everything up and kind of help her and i remember all these old cookbooks never had pictures like like like, like there was not a picture in a cookbook Mm -hmm. and like all like I, i remember it was like, I, I remember um, when we left and I went to college and I'm the youngest of three, so my brothers were all gone. My mom was bored, so she went to, got a job at Williams-Sonoma doing their cooking demos. Like, hey, we're going to teach people how to make Thanksgiving dinner. And my mom would like, so that was her job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she like came home with all these cookbooks. And I remember like coming home and she had these stacks of them. She's like, they have pictures now. And this, it was like this awesome. revolutionary thing. She's like, cause you would read these things and you know, you're reading like, uh, you know, the beard book and this and bread and the whole thing. And she's like, you would make it. You'd like take a look and be like, I don't know if this came out right. Like it, right. Like, I guess it, it tastes pretty good. It looks all right. Yeah. So there was this idea that you didn't really know what shit was supposed to look like. And I remember mm-hmm. cooking and being like, what do you think? And she's like, I don't know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now there's like pictures to gauge, like, did I successfully do it? Oh yeah. And it's yeah. just like, well, I, I wonder when like picture, you know, cause I, like, and I remember we were cleaning out my mom, my dad passed away and my mom moved. So we went up to the house and we're cleaning out my mom, all these cookbooks and I'm looking at them, not a single one had any pictures. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they all had pictures. My experience with making cookbook recipes is never, it never looks like the, the picture ever. However, it tastes pretty good. You know, like it always tastes right. like it's, it plating is, is an art form as much as cooking, I think. And then as much as yeah. taking the photo you know, yeah. oh I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. It's, my plating technique is like slop it on and smash it. Oh, I eat it out of the pan. At a boy, that's good. I can do plate. that most of the time too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think. The, yeah. But I mean, for for the most part, like with proteins, as long as you don't. And I was telling these guys, I made uh, elk. Um, elk. I, I had a bunch of elk loin, so I cooked that last night, and uh, I refuse to overcook things. So it's like you gotta just like you can't overcook elk. So if it's a little undercooked, I'm better. My wife doesn't like that, so I'm like. You have to go put it in a pan because I can't do it. But I remember um, proteins, I did, never felt like the only way you could fuck them up is if you overcook them. But like yes. bread and some like that baking stuff my mom used to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, like we, I would like help little. her prepare this. All of a sudden you take it out and it like didn't rise and was totally flat or it was burned and everything. And you're like, man, this is kind of like a, like the space shuttle either goes up or it blows up. <laughs> I mean, like, like there was nothing in between where at least on proteins, you're like, well, I didn't overcook it. No, I could use a little more salt. It's fine. Mm-hmm. That concept is actually more important with organ meats than probably with regular muscle meat too. Um, people tend to think like, because there's this misconception that a lot of organ meats are like inherently um, riskier or you're kind of more f- afraid of, I don't know, um, 
what would happen if you eat undercooked like liver for example or whatever so people overcook it and that's like the sure way to make it disgusting yeah. is to to cook leather like to cook liver till it's like leather um and it's the same with you know things like sweetbreads we haven't talked about some of the more common um organ meats that you actually find in like beautiful French restaurants that again, people, because they're familiar with it, don't bat an eyelash. So bone marrow, the mm. same people who think that eating heart is terrifying will suck the juice out of an animal's bone and be like, totally cool, mm -hmm. right? Cause you're used to it, but things like bone marrow and like, so sweetbreads, you can often find um, like fried sweetbreads in French restaurants and they're delicious and they're mild and creamy and they're like really a delicate organ. And if you overcook that it is just going to taste like a tennis ball um, and the same with liver and, and heart so it's it, it's again like I tell people and I can't I'm not somebody who's going to say like go just get liver and eat it raw and you'll be fine like you need to use your own best judgment um, but I do feel like it's very similar to any other cut of meat if you are trying to get the most local fresh healthy best raised um you know most humanely ethically harvested meat that you possibly can and you know that that meat is fresh and healthy and ideally if you hunted it yourself you know exactly where it came from the organs generally aren't going to have a much higher chance of you know having any kind of bacteria or issue that's going to make you sick um some organs you do need to again prep and cook specifically in a specific way but generally speaking i mean there are a lot of people eating organs raw when uh, it's well, healthy I mean, and fresh and luke gave me the best one was uh freeze the liver and then cut it up into cubes mm -hmm. cube and, it. yeah so so like once uh once a week i'll eat like four of these cubes and they're just liver yeah. cubes you know raw frozen and i just kind of just chew them up and, and swallow them and that's my liver for the week but yeah, you know yeah. what what about eating too much liver hmm. anyone you know eat? anything about that yeah does anybody know anything yeah. about eating too much <laughs> liver well, it's funny because I, again, I, maybe I do have some like deep seated anger issues that I'm really trying to hide about this stuff. My, my like initial, my knee jerk reaction to that always is like, you know, that there's like an Instagram meme that's like, you know, people will eat like Twinkies and Chick-fil-A all day. But then when they hear about a new diet, they suddenly become researchers. And it's like all of these people coming out of the woodwork saying like, well, what will you get like liver toxicity or like vitamin A toxicity if you eat too much liver? I'm like, bro, you've never eaten liver before. You're worried mm -hmm. about eating too much of it. Like that's not the biggest problem here. Like you will probably not eat too much. That it's going to be a problem. Well, Ashley, we um, have a story for you. Does anybody at this table <laughs> want to raise their hand who, who actually ate too much liver and, and got <laughs> vitamin A toxicity? <laughs> did you eat a well, lot a lot yeah um, and low quality regular supermarket dude, cut. yeah yeah like daily like a so, daily dose so what, what was for it months it, at a time it was uh uh Rhonda patrick was on joe rogan and she was talking about like liver and this and i, I like i like i, I just remember like it got real hot and i don't I think know I why showed, all of a sudden i think luke was like hey you're supposed well, to have like three to four ounces well, a week like, yeah. and you were thinking three to four ounces a day well here's also the catalyst <laughs> Is liver is I mean it was four bucks for like yeah so this four slices. I, I think I introduced you to like my money meals philosophy when <laughs> early yeah on. and and uh, Tex was over I'm like you got to try this liver and he's like this is actually really good I'm like yeah medium heat just sear sear salt 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 some butter and maybe a little bit of onion powder and he's like man he's like and I'm like the best thing is this this thing like look at the look at the nutrients on it and it costs like so cheap so cheap and he's like you could see McQuilkin was just like 
I can, I'm going to do this every day. <laughs> okay. Okay. Tex, can you actually walk me through this? So how many like days consecutively were you eating like a few ounces of liver? And then what were the symptoms? What happened? Because I got to say in my couple years of doing this, I've never actually talked to somebody who had it. So this, which does reiterate that I think it's rare. You got to kind of work at it, oh, yeah. but like oh, yeah. it no, does still no, happen. It was, you know? it was I guess one, they were individually packed slices, I don't know. Of calf six, liver. Uh, six ounces. Yeah, they're, they're four liver. ounce, four ounce slices of calf liver. Yeah. So Monday okay. through Thursday. And then Friday, we I was still traveling a bit. And then I made it to Arizona to get some blood work done with Dr. Tom Incladon. But how long leading up to that do you oh think? Oh my goodness gracious, maybe four months. Yeah, four or five months. <laughs> yeah. So four to five days a week. Yeah. Right. And then he so goes out and he gets a pound a, over a pound a week for five months. Right. Uh, yeah. More. Yeah. 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 And, and then and then you go get tested. Yeah. Uh, I got my do, blood work done. <laughs> and just unbeknownst <laughs> to me, I every couple of years I, like, I do blood alive? work. Well, that was the doctor's reaction. <laughs> <laughs> so the, what are you doing? Have so much vitamin Christ, A. <laughs> well, yeah, that was exactly it. And I was she asked, like, what? How are you eating? And I was proud. <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm eating liver. And she's like, okay. And then shows the blood work that they presented. You have the opportunity to see your Krebs cycle, however they mm -hmm. decipher this. And I was in ketosis, and I wasn't eating keto. So my body yeah. was using protein as energy for I don't know how many weeks and months. <laughs> and I, how did I feel? I'm not really, my interoception is pretty gosh darn low. It's just show up, lift weights, go to work. Uh, eat some liver, go eat to some bed. Liver, go to bed. Some, make some bad puns. <laughs> uh, podcast, repeat. It literally, and that's that's the extent of it. And do you remember what your value of liver was? It was like uh, four hundred times greater than what it should have been. I honestly, I can deep dive like now yeah. and pull pull up. The but it was enough to when you kicked me. You're like, hey, uh, this is what my liver or my vitamin A value was, and I was like, what was the range? And when you said the range, I just started laughing, and I was like, hold on, let me Google uh, vitamin A toxicity. Yeah. So what did you do after that? So you basically just cut out the liver, and then was there anything else that you had to do to kind of get back to a no, healthy place? Well, no, okay, because yeah, you weren't. What like, is healthy? So yeah, you weren't. You weren't noticing any sort of symptoms yeah, that were you disrupting yeah. your life, right? Yeah, so yeah. it was just like, oh, you got to peek under the hood. You know, pretty alarmingly high vitamin A. Maybe you should take it easy with the liver, to which you said, yeah. like, what? So, like, like once, once a day? A week? <laughs> or once uh, a week? Well, but, uh, you know, like, it's it was it was something that normalized. I, I, like, Luke hit it. Like, you weren't seeing symptoms. It wasn't like your hair was falling out and, like, you know, you're having all these issues. It was just you... You know, that's why we say, hey, get regular blood work. Yeah. Smart. But if it happened another four months, Ashley, <laughs> who, yeah. who knows? Well, there you go. This yeah. is actually very helpful to me because mm -hmm. now when people ask me, like, what can happen if you eat too much liver? I'm like, well, if you eat a pound of it a week. every week for <laughs> six months, you're going to get some unhealthy maybe um, blood markers. But going back to like people worry about like iron toxicity and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. generally speaking, when people have those kind of issues or like even B vitamin, like anything where you have super, super high um, values, it's usually because you're supplementing like with actual mm -hmm. supplements. It's yeah, very, yeah. very difficult to um, get sort of unhealthy levels from the food you eat because you just have to eat such a vast amount of it. And again, my, my answer usually is like the, I think more people could benefit from eating more liver than people will 
um, be negatively affected right. by eating too much of it. So, so that's actually, really like two or three like ounces, like uh, like four of those cubes. I mean, are pretty good size. Like it's probably three ounces. Like once a week is more than Absolutely. enough. You know, Absolutely. And yeah. the quality decision that I was making with my liver. But did you? Was also the doctor was like. So are we talking about drinking Modelo's now or no? I'm kidding. Uh, did you <laughs> have like heavy gear. level? Uh, heavy metal oh, yeah. levels. Oh no no no! So I was also low in iron, even though I was I was cooking. Well, do you know why? Uh, I was probably blocking it up. I mean, there, uh, there, there, there was something. But like, there was probably, no like the vitamin A pathway was somehow preventing like yeah. you know like, so like was causing more, deficiencies. In I needed other ways. more calcium and iron, but then that was she gave me food recommendations mm-hmm. versus throwing a, a supplement yeah. solution. And we know Dr. That's Christie, good. that was her but, yeah, naturopath approach. Uh, Tom and I just had this uh, conversation where we were, I, I was asking him, like, how come we're seeing so many food, like so many deficiencies from people that are, you know, I mean, obviously if somebody's like a vegan, for example, and they're eating kind of like the same uh, same meal, like, oh, here's my rice bowl with this and this. I mean, you know, you see these things. But what about people that are eating like a normal, like kind of like balanced diet that are doing pretty well? Like, are you seeing deficiency? And his comment was the food today is probably yeah. one tenth as micronutrient dense as it was a hundred years ago. The hundred years ago, if you ate the same diet, he's like your, your fitness and your health and all the other markers would be greatly improved. But because the nutrient density is so low, there's so like the lack of nutrients within the soil is so low today. Um, we're just seeing this problem. And it's like, even though you're eating a balanced diet, you're doing all the right things, you have to get tested and start supplementing just because the food isn't going to have what you need in it. Mm-hmm. And you combine that with the fact that even generally sorted out people uh, today also have very different and often detrimental lifestyles or at least factors of their lifestyle, like super high chronic stress. Maybe your sleep is garbage. Maybe you're spending too much time in front of a screen. Maybe you're working out too much or not enough. I mean, we we have to work to have a healthy, balanced lifestyle now in a way that wasn't really the case maybe before. Mm-hmm. So, Ashley, go back to like... It, our organ meats are now like a passion for you just by this project, right? Have number one, have they always been since you were introduced to them? And then maybe go back to when you first kind of started tinkering with this stuff. Yeah, I think it was. So again, I was kind of like doing my paleo thing, eating just whatever real food, still eating a lot of everything. Cause I just, I really, really love food. And I think that's ultimately why I ended up writing a cookbook. Cause I just, I just love food a lot. Um, And I was living in New York at the time and um, in my sort of early to mid twenties. And, you know, when you move to a big city where there's every kind of food possible, that's what I was doing. Like every dollar that I made was going to go into restaurants and trying new foods and things like that. And I was fortunate that I had friends who could like take me to the good spots and I could try kind of different cuisine. And I was trying different foods from different parts of the world. And I just have always been somebody who wanted to try new things, especially in like low risk ways, right? Like I always considered trying new food, like such a low risk endeavor, because I tell people this when they're like trying to eat liver and they're scared. I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? Like you put a bite of food in your mouth and you don't like it. You just move on. You're, you're nowhere worse than where you started. But if you try something and you like it, then you've got this whole new kind of fun experience, you know? And so I was doing that and I was eating a lot of different um, foods and different ethnic cuisines and stuff. And I was seeing that again, in other parts of the world, people were eating every part of the animal and it was delicious and it was interesting and it was varied and it was fun. Um, And so I started experimenting slowly sort of on my own, um, just again with heart and liver, but I, I, what started almost was like, I want to try something new and I want to kind of be a little 
adventurous and I also like enjoyed grossing other people out because yeah. I was like, you're a wuss, like I can eat this and you can't. <laughs> All of that stuff that I liked, it actually turned out that I was like enjoying what I was doing too. It wasn't just like a performance or I was trying to prove something. I really enjoyed the food. And I think that, you know, again, I've always been somebody because I grew up um, in the gym. I grew up like working out um, all the time and wanting to have muscle. That was never a barrier for me, as I know it is with a lot of women. I was never worried about kind of being the smallest. I just wanted to be fit and strong. And I very early on recognized the connection with protein to, mm. you know, muscle growth. And so I've always been really pro protein. That was never a problem for me. And so, yeah, I mean, I've always been positive about it. It was never like kind of a scary hurdle that I had to get over. I'd say the only hurdle I had to get over. And it's funny because you guys probably know this from interviewing a lot of successful people and athletes and yourselves that like often the things that maybe you were weak at or sort of insecure about end up being some of your strengths later in life. Because I grew up never cooking. Like John, you said you had your mom, like had you be a part of it, right? You oh, were like yeah. the sous chef, which I think is actually really kind of unique and, and awesome. And I didn't really have that, have that experience. I wasn't well, it was, it was either that or just get yelled at. So, like, <laughs> I mean, one or the other. Yeah, yeah no, I think I, I mean, just like, got yelled at. I, I like, I think it's funny. Like, uh, like having kids. Like, you make this decision. You're like, you're either going to help me, or I'm just going to yell at you until you do it. Which <laughs> is how, which I don't know is a good way to be raised. But that was kind of my mom's deal, where she just fucking yelled at us until we did what we were saying. And I just figured it was easier for me to help her and not get yelled at than it was to not help her and get yelled at. If it, if it works, I mean, hey, but that's, that's sort of how, like, I grew up not knowing a lot in the kitchen. And like, I remember in high school, and I don't know if this is going to date me or if this still happens, but there was like a home ec class, which is basically mm -hmm. like you mm -hmm. learn how to cook dinner. Sure. I don't know. Um, and I took that class and it was like, I'm like a straight A student. I like got all good grades and I did like shitty in that class. Like I just whatever. And I remember kind of my mom making fun of me and be like, Oh, you're not, you know, going to be the one at home making, making food, like in the kitchen. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But I kind of like, I kind of internalized that I wasn't good at that stuff. And I was intimidated by it. And I just let other people do it. And so this was really a process of empowering myself and learning mm -hmm. and knowing that I can do it. And, you know, through my life, I, I ate very functionally because when I was trying to be a super fitness person and really fit, I ate functional food almost exclusively. I didn't really eat a lot for fun and I didn't really experiment and try new things. And so this was really a process of like empowering myself, knowing that I can learn to do something if it's important to me. And I think that I would like to think that this is something that's coming back into popularity a little bit, maybe mm -hmm. with the pandemic, maybe with people being home more. Um, like I'm seeing too, like more people who are learning to hunt, more people who are understanding the importance of like being a little bit more self-sufficient about your food, you know? Cause again, culturally we are in a place where we think food should be incredibly cheap, incredibly abundant, super hyper palatable everywhere easy, like all of these things, right? Whereas again, throughout history, we spent a lot more money on food per sort of capita. We spent a lot more time. We did it with our families. We spent lots of time prepping food. It was a bigger part of our life. Now we're just like, we want Uber Eats to get us our delicious food immediately and eat it. And it's going to be the most delicious thing in the world. So <laughs> this process of like, just putting more priority on an incredibly important part of your life, what you're nourishing your body with. And instead of looking at it like it's a chore or it's something I'm never going to be good at, but I just kind of have to do it. I really wanted to like get better, learn the skill. It's a valuable skill um, and spend more time with it and learn to enjoy it. Cause again, it's like sleep, work, eat. Those are the main things that people do with their lives. So let's find ways to enrich it and like 
enjoy the process and be present with it instead of it's just this thing we have to do so that we're not hungry anymore. You know? Do you think a big issue is that, um, I mean, I'm, uh, I know in Canada it's a little, you know, it's a lot different obviously because you guys have like the, uh, you know, like the French influence. But I think here in the United States, people like the Western cuisine doesn't include it. Whereas if you go to a French restaurant, you're going to get escargot, foie gras, you know, all these things that fit within it. And, um, was, you know, obviously my mom's Canadian, but my dad was a lawyer and he had a client who owned a French restaurant and how he paid my dad was actually in dinners. So we would go one night a week to this bitch and French restaurant and just crush it. And so we ate all this stuff. So we were exposed to it at a young age. Whereas I think in other countries like, uh, like Balbacoa, you know, there was a a Mexican place when I lived at Berkeley that would, um, basically boil a whole cow's head and then you pull all the meat off and like they made the most amazing food. Um, you know, did tripe. And I think other countries, whether it be like uh, Mexico or you go to, uh, you know, Southeast Asia or wherever, you know, the French are really amazing at it too. Like it's part of the culture. Whereas in America, like it's not part of the culture. So it's so uh, foreign to a lot of Americans, but yet you go other places and they kind of like shrug your shoulders, kind of like, well, you know, this, this isn't weird. This isn't out of the norm. So I think we're seeing kind of like a cultural divide more than anything. Yeah. And I think it's also, it's, it's like lack of familiarity, but it's also, um, the opinion that whatever your thing is, is the thing and everything else is other. Whereas some cultures are more willing to just be like, that's different, but that's cool. And I'm going to try it. And you know, that does happen in Canada too. Like we do, I live very close to Quebec. So, you know, we can eat horse there and we can eat all kinds of things that maybe in America people (laughs) wouldn't be super into. Um, so there is like a little bit of, you know, but you go to different parts of Canada and it's just as, um, seen as just as extreme. And, you know, when I, I, I go back and forth between Canada and the States a little bit less so right now because of what's going on. But when I was doing some work there and posting about it and I heard, you know, people from like the Midwest and people from the South and like Mexican and Hispanic and Spanish influence and people were like, yeah, I eat all this stuff. Like, that's not weird. It's just, it's just what we see the most is what we think is the baseline and everything else is kind of like the weird other stuff that other people do, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, again, it it goes back to that, um, that mindset of like, look, I'm not telling you that you have to only eat liver. Don't, don't pull a text move and just eat liver for the rest of your life (laughs) every day. We just call it a text. You know, (laughs) uh, remember in Force Gumbo, he's like shrimp gumbo, shrimp kebab. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like liver gumbo, liver kebab, liver stew, liver barbecued. (laughs) I think that's all the type of liver I know. (laughs) I think people think that I only eat organ meats too, because I Mm -hmm. do eat a lot of it. Like if you look at my freezer, there's like one half that's like the fun stuff. That's where I put like the tongue and the sweetbreads and the liver and all the other kind of fun stuff. And then the other side, which is my steak and my ground beef and my Mm -hmm. chicken thighs and like the normal food too. I mean, it's nice to have a balance. You don't have to, it goes back to one of the things we were saying before about how I feel like people, people like to look at things and especially nutrition as black and white. And so when people think factory farming is bad, so that means eating meat is bad. And mm-hmm. that means I have to eat this weird, crazy processed Frankenfood nightmare vegan stuff because that's not cruel. That's not killing animals in an inhumane way, right? We don't think instead, what is the real natural mm-hmm. physiological way that human beings should eat? It's not factory farming. That's not great. So what's the next step is like, let's look at local humane farm farmers who have good practices that raise their animals well and kill them well as well, you know, mm-hmm. and, and instead of just thinking like, okay, we can't do it this way. So we have to go the other opposite direction. And I, I really think that, 
it's doing a, the world a disservice to look at food like it should be completely death free. Like I got some, I actually had a rare vegan troll talk to me on the internet oh, the other them. day. I love them. Yeah, they don't, they don't, I don't feel like I get that many and maybe cause it's, I'm not that popular yet. Like maybe I have to have more followers yet. before I get more haters, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah John, John can pass them your way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I did have someone kind of give me the whole, like you're murdering and you're evil and all this stuff. And you, and you know, just responded I, with tasty, tasty murder. Yeah, mm, so mm, delicious. Murder, I love the so suffering. Tasty. Um, no, but I mean, you know, and I think not, I don't want to engage with people like this because again, I don't find it helpful, but the fact that, that people really think that, you know, a vegan, a processed vegan, or even a non-processed vegan diet is death-free. The idea that we are different from the rest of the animal kingdom, that we are a different species that are above everything else, that we should be able to walk through life without any um, death without touching death, without experiencing it is incredibly naive. And most of the people I know who are farmers, I did an interview with an incredible farmer in this book. She's amazing. And her account is amazing. The information she puts out, she loves animals more than anybody else I know. And she still harvests them and eats them and makes use of them. And it's a complicated process. It's an uncomfortable process, I think, for a lot of people. But turning away from it only makes it worse. Turning away from it and pretending that it doesn't exist or that it shouldn't exist is what allows inhumane practices to continue. Instead, by saying, look, we eat meat because we recognize that it's natural and it's good for us. So let's look at ways we can make this process better so that we can it can be more humane it can be healthier for the animals and healthier for the planet and healthier for us that's what we have to do instead of just saying oh no it, there's no such thing as death we, we can't kill things that's evil so let's just eat soy burgers instead like that's gonna make a difference you know mm -hmm. i just i think that and you know this year i took my um my hunter safety course and i took my uh gun safety course and i'm gonna go hunting this next season because that's important to me too and not because i'm super pumped to go kill an animal it's because i want to be a part of this process i believe in it i think it's important i eat these animals and i enjoy them so i want to be a part of the entire process and feel it and experience it um and i feel really strongly about that so well and yeah it's, I mean, it's also neat to taste different animals and I, I know this sounds kind of yeah. crazy but um most people are just kind of palated towards beef and then you know all of a sudden mm -hmm. maybe the occasional buffalo and if you're really lucky you get some elk but then you know here in texas they have a ton of invasive species and like, uh, like there's like a huge axis and like all these crazy, you know, odds and all this wild stuff. And, uh, it's pretty, you know, I, I have a, a fairly decent, uh, amount of friends that are hunters and have leases and they'll bring things over. And, uh, I literally would only eat axis if given the opportunity. Like I want to hunt an axis. I want to put it in the freezer. Uh, we had Audad. There's about two or three other things that I'm like, I don't even know how to pronounce that, but this is amazing. So here, here's and I a think question. it's the palate is that the beef is, <laughs> Yes. It's the word. It's like so just un like it, it tastes delicious. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of it. But like I, I what I really like to do is taste Black's things character where you taste it. And you're like, God, that is so different tasting mm -hmm. yes. than what sure. it, it, it's like. The elk is like I would eat only elk if given the opportunity. So do, do all livestock and game like this? I mean, they're all mammal, right? Yeah. And then do they all have the same organs? Right. All, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the they're, they're all in different places. Like I know, yeah. like if um, uh, like hogs, for example, have everything front loaded. So you, mm -hmm. your shots yeah, so need, slightly need to be different this way, but those from, from deer and the more in the back. So then and like, fowl and poultry have some different things. Like they've got right. like giblets and stuff that mm -hmm. other animals don't have. But generally speaking, it's, it's mostly. So the then same. like, could you do like a, like if you were to blind taste test, these organs, like let's say bison liver, pig liver, 
I don't know if you could do it on organs, but I like, wonder. Oh, you can. Oh, you can, my friend. So have you, I guess there's a question, Ashley, have you explored like other game and uh, I guess livestock organs? Well, I mean, meats? think about it. Listen, there are like sommeliers who can like taste. Oh, yeah. I oh, don't yeah. know, like oak in a red wine, whatever. Allegedly. I can, you know. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> I've been to these fucking okay. wine tastings and this guy's like, I sense 1918 oak. I'm like, get yeah. the fuck yeah. out of here. Is yeah. this from okay. Sonoma? Fair point. <laughs> Fair point. But I will say that I, there, it, it isn't always like a, a vast difference. Like you mm -hmm. might be able to, if you like blind taste tested, if you put like liver from five different animals and hearts from five different animals, I might do okay because I spend a lot of time yeah, eating yeah. these things. But I will say that game animals, like similar to what you said, John, game animals are my favorite. Like beef is great. It's fine. It's crowd pleasing, I think is yeah, one of the yeah, things yeah, because it's like not strong it. tasting. It's like a exactly. Nickelback song. Yeah, I, uh, well, I mean, we'll agree to disagree on that one. Who doesn't Dude. worship Nickelback? Uh, every Canadian ever, every yeah. Canadian ever. Can we please uh, go down all, that rabbit first hole? First of all, everything. First of all, uh, my mom's from Lethbridge. She was born in a, in a little town called Medicine Hat. And uh, those guys from Nickelback are actually not far from Lethbridge where they where they lived. And I actually met those dudes in Kansas oh City. Gosh. And it was funny because as I started rapping with the lead singer, I was like, man, I we used to go to the Calgary Stampede. I know where you're from. And the dude was like instant friends. We have a bunch of drinks. I end up uh, headbutting him, splitting his eye open. Oh he tackled me. God. We broke all these bottles, went to the concert the next day. I was not a Nickelback fan until I partied with them and had a good time. And now then I realized. Now a Nickelback tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> so their entire but, collection. Well, but they are one absolutely thing, rednecks. Like where it's they're It's one from. thing to like the dude. It's another thing to like the music, I suppose. Uh -huh. But that makes sense why they are very popular in America. And it's like a common, it's a common kind of joke in Canada that they are like widely hated mm -hmm. in Canada. Like we've got a lot of good musical talent. I mean, whether you like them or not, Justin we've got Bieber. some like big names. <laughs> Listen, I'm Celine Dion. We've I'm got Break. Is Michael We've Bolton got... from Canada? No, uh, Brian, no. Adams. <laughs> Brian. Brian Adams. <laughs> I mean, come on, we've got some good names. Nickelback, we do not count among them. But I just find it funny because whenever I go to the States, like you listen to like a certain radio station and like, it's just like, oh my God, how do you guys not know what's yeah, like, really, I, anyway. What are you hearing in this song? I, yeah, what guys, are you hearing that I'm not hearing? Yeah, I, I have this weird tinting where like, I was totally anti-Nickelback and then my buddy Kyle Turley was like, hey, we're gonna go uh, hang out with uh, his buddy who used to work for Pantera was doing all their pyrotechnics. He's like, hey, we're gonna go meet my buddy for, for dinner. And so we go as we're having dinner, uh, the band comes in and sits down with us mm -hmm. and like, actually, we're like pretty good dudes. No, for the record, I totally get that. And, and like, I, well, I, and I, and like, I, I, like, I, I think I even it. said to him, I was like, what's up with this? And he's like, it's a lot of number one hits <laughs> and that fucking gets a lot of cake. Well, that's, that's true. And also, you know, when people are super, super mainstream, you're going to get a backlash of people yeah. who hate them because they're super mainstream yeah. too. So there is mm -hmm. that, but they are, they are very widely um, made fun of in Canada, <laughs> but we can just kind of move yeah. past that. Yeah. One of the things I did want to say though, about the, the tasting the different organs from different animals, um, some game meat or some animals that are, have a very strong distinctive taste, that's going to be reflected in their organs. And a specific example of that is lamb. So I don't know if you guys like it. I yeah. think lamb is delicious. It's one of my yeah. favorite animals to eat and their, their organs taste lamby. So if you like, I have mm. one recipe in the book that's, um, I don't remember. It's some kind of like almost like lamb or heart stew ish sort of. And it is delicious because it tastes like lamb heart it doesn't taste like heart it's very specific oh, to the animal interesting so some animals are going to taste more or less like what yeah, they are yeah um, i have a yeah. like a love interesting 
love-hate relationship with uh, with lamb, specifically <laughs> lamb burgers. So uh, I got all this bitch and lamb, made these lamb burgers, and like in the past, I usually always cook them on tinfoil because they're so greasy. I was out of tinfoil, and I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll just keep you know flipping them. I'll be on top of it. I had a grease fire in my uh, outside barbecue. Took it all down. <laughs> the inside, like like where the grates are, just did this and like destroyed the barbecue to the point where like for like three months I didn't use the barbecue, and I had to order all the parts, and then I had this guy come out who like did this extensive cleaning, and he's like, I've never seen anything this fucked up. What happened? I'm like, I had a grease fire from lamb. He's like, ooh. That'll happen. So he cleaned it, got It'll everything assembled. And so now my wife's like, you want to do lamb? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to cook these lamb burgers in the oven underneath <laughs> a catch pan. Like, I'm going to be a lot. I'm, I'm not going to try these on the barbecue again. That mm-hmm. ended me in about $400 worth of uh, damages. Yeah, that sucks. It, I mean, it is true that, again, like playing with different cuts, different animals, different organs, it's going to take more work. And that's another barrier to entry for a lot of people. But if you do look at it sort of the way I was saying earlier, where I'm, I'm kind of looking at it like a project and a, an right. experiment and a, a way to kind of enjoy time with family or friends or, you know, instead of just like, oh, this is different than cooking beef. I don't want to do it, you know. So it's really yeah. kind of your your perspective, how you want to approach it. And I think you got to like, obviously, you work into that because at one point in text, I was exactly like you like i had no no kitchen anything prowess or equipment one pan yeah but then you just kind of like you just got to commit and kind of keep moving forward and realize like going back to like what's the worst that happens okay if you do overcook it throw it away like yeah. or you just get ridiculed yeah yeah, yeah. Get yeah. ridiculed a little bit. Well, your friends will just <laughs> never let you forget. Yeah, like <laughs> years ago, we had a, uh, like mm, a... I don't remember. We cooked, or I cooked like a bunch a- of steaks for like an event we had. <laughs> and uh, I borrowed my buddy's outside barbecue. He, he had like a big smoker barbecue where it comes in one side. Yeah, w- wood and burning. So, yeah, like, wood burning. So nice. like he brings it down on the trailer. I'm going to cook all these steaks on it. I didn't figure like that it would be like 400 down to 200. So all of a sudden, the ones that were on this side tended to overcook. So like everything else looks bitching. And there was probably like, you know, let's say there was 30 steaks, like 20 were fine. 10 were, were 20. <laughs> yeah, but a fair amount of them were overcooked. Like first time on this, we're u- using barbecue. And like, so we were fighting the people like, Oh, your steaks are overcooked. I'm like, fuck you. I'm never cooking for you assholes again. <laughs> Mine's bouncing. Mine's bouncing. Uh, my steak, which was on the end, was amazing. Oh, yeah. John's steak was great. No, I, I was giving these guys the rubber hockey pucks. And so, actually, I was one of the uh, those who were jamming John up. But I do, like, I've said it then, and I was sincere, and I still say it to the day. Even though they were, like, they were overdone, well done, um, they still tasted fine. Like, it wasn't like a traditional, you know when you have that, like, you can't do it. Like, you, like yeah. I well, can't even finish this freaking thing. It's, it's took because so much. Uh, there was more, like, with the smoke, there yeah. was moisture, yeah, so they were still moist, yeah, even and, though like, they were flavorful and, uh, yeah. and still tender, because I think were they were overcooked. fillets, right? Like, they were fillets. Oh, yeah. I butchered, okay. like, 40 fillets. <laughs> That'll happen. Ah, God Well, also, if you, if you butcher a high-quality piece of meat, it's still going to taste better than if you mess up a oh, shitty yeah. piece of meat. So yeah. you've got that going for you. For sure, um, for sure. I remember I, I got to go back to this because I wasn't able to um, talk about it online because, again, I don't want to fight. But my vegan troll also told oh, yeah, yeah. me that that if we were supposed we to handle, eat, was there a handle? I could probably find it. I mean, it doesn't matter. It was just like some was it person. a vegan like a good vegan troll handle? Like, like no, a no. Vegan, vegan extremist death nine four seven. <laughs> no, two? it was just some like random name oh. and number. I mean, whatever. But but it was basically if you're supposed to eat meat, then you should eat it. Um, with the fur on still because you're not, it's, it, and I'm like, so let me, okay. So this means that this guy is eating 
raw potatoes out of the ground yeah. and he's with eating bananas yeah. with the skin on yeah. like like it just I, I yeah I mean this is why I think that and this is what makes me like want to give up a lot of the time is that <laughs> I feel like there's there's just a lack of because because these things specifically are so tied up in emotion and in um how you see yourself as mm-hmm. a person and an individual it's impossible to have a discussion that is um pragmatic and based in reality it's just impossible because there's too much emotion yeah and cognitive dissonance too like exactly what you're saying like there's this whole belief around the the fallacies of your way ashley of eating these poor innocent souls but then like the logic they're using to 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 make the argument can't be used against them the the word pragmatic is not found on the internet you have to actually Mm, look that up in the dictionary because there's no intelligent nuanced discussion Mm. and i'm I'm telling you it's like i i I always remember uh so i was in college uh like you know when all of a sudden we started sending emails and this and i remember like talking to this professor and he was talking about how amazing it was going to be that we were going to connect all these people and get all this transfer of information and ideas and was going to help us you know transcend all the world problems from hunger to this and this and like the internet was going to be the source of it and i'm like man that guy fucked up (laughs) i'm like all it is is a bunch of people going on there to argue uh about like you know some form of validation for preconceived notions that they have no intention on taking on any other information that might be valid in any way. Well, it just depends yeah. on what corner of the internet you wander into, John. See, just cat like, memes. That's all we need is cat you know, memes. It's, the algorithms got you in the loophole. They know how to get you, what winds you up. No, I, I mean, <laughs> for the most part, I uh, like the only time I can really get into this, like, uh, like see like a, a glimpse of the crazy is through the portal of Rob Wolf and also Andy Stump. Uh, <laughs> uh, Andy's post yesterday, man, like, yeah. like I, I just am amazed. Like, they, and, and even Paul Carter, and we talked about this the other day, uh, this idea that, like, just because you have a, a, a handle, just because you have an account and you can comment doesn't mean that your opinion has the same weight as other people. Like, yeah. there's experts. Like, if a dude has been doing, you know, we had uh, uh, Jonathan... Sobolski. Sobolski. I keep missing. I don't want to butcher his name. Uh, who is a marine, you know, marine biologist doing research in Hong Kong on the health and fitness of coral reefs in relation to like, you know, weather and, and pollution and like all like, the, you know, these elements for like, you know, climate change. So we have him on and he's giving us a nuanced discussion on how like this is what I'm seeing in, in, uh, in coral reefs. And this is the, the lens that I'm looking at in terms of climate change. And then there's some guy on there who's never done research, who's never even been diving, who doesn't know anything about this, but yet watched a series of YouTube videos that wants yeah. to battle with this dude and tell him he's wrong. And he's like, yeah. no, 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 I, I'm the one doing the research that's pushing this. And this is the peer review. It's, so it, it's really a pretty fascinating thing that everybody feels that their opinion should matter when not every opinion has the same weight. Like, I know how to cook organ meats, but I'm going to defer to your book because obviously the pictures look amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to now look at you as my organ meat guru for recipes. And I will gladly hand over and give you the reins for when I'm cooking. Well, I want to give you another compliment, Ashley, in your writing style. I'll take it. It's like I need compliments. (laughs) She's coaching and speaking to you. So when you're reading. Yes, you. When you're reading, her voice is like, I need you to do this. I'm doing we're going to do this because you, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, it's like a coach in the kitchen. It's like mm-hmm. empowering. I, yes. I appreciate that because I think like the best, one of the best compliments that I heard from people who bought this book was that they like 
they read it. Like they read it from cover to cover. Like most people, it's cookbook. You go in and you scroll through and you find a recipe you want to try. But a big part of this book for me was education and conversation. And it was really kind of trying to like hold people's hand a little bit and like lead them into it so that it wasn't, cause that's the other thing too. When I was doing my research, I, I have a couple fantastic, uh, awful, awful cookbooks that, you know, you buy this book and you just open up the first page and it's like, here's how you cut up some testicles. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, give me, you know, yeah. buy me dinner first kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I felt like because I am not speaking to professionally trained chefs, I'm speaking to hunters and people who like to eat meat and people who want to experiment in the kitchen, but they don't know a whole lot similar to me that what I wanted to do was just make this encouraging and kind of exciting and adventurous and positive and give you guys a lot of information about why first, because like I said, that's the question I get the most often. And then when you kind of know the why, you're a little bit more willing to like give things a try. Um, so there is a huge education component to it. Like I break down every organ that's in the book and why it's healthy. Um, I break down why it's important to eat all parts of the animal. I break down how to do like the initial prep of all the different organs and why that's different. Like I said, I did a really cool interview with um, a regenerative farmer. Uh, Diana Rogers is mentioned in there. Rob Wolf is mentioned in there. Um, so, and I also got a couple um, recipe developers and chefs who are more experienced than me to submit a couple recipes too. So you can see there's some like high, low, easy, tough, you know, whatever kind of recipes in there from people who sort of know a little bit more than me too, because I really want to make it like a, a collaborative effort. But I really appreciate that because, you know, a lot of people do buy the book and they will make one recipe maybe, but if they open it and they read some things and they learn some things and mm -hmm. they, you know, get something out of it that way, that's important for me too. So, yeah. And the, there's some story behind it, which is so then you call out the people that introduce you to this and the experience. Mm -hmm. So much like we no spoilers, no spoilers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Much like we would use antidotes to mm -hmm. prove our points in the terms of the world of strength and conditioning and experience. Ashley's pulled that into the mm -hmm. book. Ashley, were there any um, bloopers or, oh you know, God. I guess uh, recipes that will shall shall remain unnamed that was um, like we shall book. name <laughs> yeah well i always i say in the book i'm like maybe this will go in it takes guts to more guts or something <laughs> but we'll see um but i do like the biggest thing i'm going to put out there at some point are like before and after <laughs> or like take one take two pictures because again going back to how most of these pictures turned out pretty good the first round did not necessarily. So like I have one that's like a chopped liver. And again, it's very, it's pretty crowd pleasing. Like again, liver pates and things like that. Mm. Are, there's a lot of like Big fan. butter and cream. And I mean, it's hard not to make those delicious, sure. but chopped liver straight up looks like dog food. There's <laughs> nothing you can do about it. And well, again, it I'm not, dog food. right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just delicious. It's delicious, nutrient dense dog food. But I remember the first time we did it and it was like one of those days that we just were not feeling it. I like woke up first thing in the morning and had like kidney on the barbecue. I was just like, fuck my life. Like, why is this happening? <laughs> anyway, I was having a rough day. And uh, we took this picture of this chopped liver and it was just like, a, it was just dog food on a plate with some like vegetables. And it was just awful. And I, even at the time I was laughing at it, but I had sent it to the publishers and they had like laid out some stuff. And I looked at that page and I'm like, there's no yeah. way we can publish this book. So we had to go back and, and take a couple other pictures, but generally speaking, I didn't have too many recipes that I was like, this is terrible. I, I can't do it. It was more, I was a bit limited with 
what I had access to, even mm -hmm. here, like even in Canada, where I, I really do actually have really good access, there were still even seasonally. And, and like, I'd go to, I made really good friends with some butchers who thought I was a real crazy person because the stuff that I was asking for, but they eventually came around and started to like me. And I remember asking for things and they're like, dude, we don't get those because no one asks for it. So like, if you want, for example, what was the thing I asked for? Blood at one point. There's a couple recipes that have yeah, blood. Like, a, um, uh, like blood sausage and all that. Blood sausage, yeah. blood pudding. There's yep. actually a sweet, a dessert blood pudding that's uh, yep. based on an Italian recipe that's delicious. One of the best uh, desserts in there. But they were like, we can't just give you like this much blood. Like you need to take home like a large bag of blood. <laughs> and so I ended up buying like, I don't know, it was like four liters of of calf blood frozen in a bag and i just remember like walking home and i'm like what have i become like who am i <laughs> you know so Canada bizarre. does have a lot of those butcher shops i remember uh yeah. we used to teach um uh, coliseum crossfit where we taught, taught a number of toronto in yeah. toronto yeah. and there was all these really bitching little uh like um like butcher shops that we went to that were kind of boutique which is crazy because um, those are like few and far between. Even here in Austin, like the only butcher shop that I know of that's locally um, is obviously in Marble Falls where they do the processing on the meat at um, uh, Hudson's or I got to drive to uh, Salton Time. There's another one off 7th Street that's yeah, uh, but Zillner I mean, goes to. Yeah. yeah, but those are in downtown. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like... Uh, yeah, we need know, like, like, like know, a fringe downtown. We, I don't want to pay no downtown prices for <sighs> calf liver. Man, yeah. but like... Listen, yeah, when so I'm getting my four liters of calf butch, blood... Like, <laughs> It better not cost more than like, you know, like, so I walked cola. into Dadu because uh, they got oh, a butcher yeah. shop. I walked into this, uh, you know, really bitching like French kind of like has a butcher shop and like a restaurant. I went into Dadu and I'm just looking at the prices and I'm like. There's no way I could justify any of this. Yeah. And so I don't want I no just, hipster organs. Oh, my God. You guys want, just need like, to come up north where everyone's nice because yeah. at, a, I, at the butcher shop that I frequented the most, at a certain point, they were literally giving me stuff for free because they're like, what the hell? Like, mm -hmm. you want – I literally am asking for pork skin and chicken skin and, like, oh. just stuff that, again, people – Ask, they ask for chicken, like with the skin removed. I'm like, guys, what? Yeah. You're My crazy. My kids so, fight when we cook chicken. They fight for the skin. Uh, it's the most delicious part. Yeah. Yes. Year, uh, years ago when I was a kid, we went to uh, uh, one of my dad's uh, guys he worked with. Um, was a lawyer in Mexico and in the United States. And we went to his wedding down in Mexico City. And I was probably like 12, 13 years old. And we went to this huge outdoor kind of deal. And they were slaughtering pigs in the back. And they were literally cutting the skin off the top and dropping them into these vats. Ooh, and baby. deep frying it and then pulling it out Chicharrones. and putting it on. <clears throat> so like you watched your pig get slaughtered, skinned, and deep fried like in under seven minutes. So and nice. so like my mouth is still watering. So they would bring it over and you'd snap this stuff off. And there was like meat. I mean, it was pretty. And then they had salsa and we were too young to drink, but they all had these like huge uh, vats of tequila. My dad got hammered, which was awesome. Uh, but like we were eating this stuff. And I remember thinking like, there's no fucking way in America that one, <laughs> they would let you eat this close to where they were slaughtering pigs. And, uh, like it's still to this day, it was still one of the most epic. And like, it was funny. I talked to my brother the other day and we were still like laughing about it. He's like, you remember when we saw those pigs get killed and they slaughtered? Like, yeah, that was crazy. Like they, the that doesn't exist being, anymore. That that's actually in many cases, a much healthier way to do it. Like if you, the, the, uh, interview that I have at the back of the book with the, um, farmer, she is in Canada, but she sort of apprenticed and, and worked in the States as well. And I know there are rules in both countries around being able to, um, harvest and butcher like at the farm you need to go to a processing plant right and she talks about the 
all of the factors that go into doing that, where you have to then transport the animal in a way that's unnatural and um, is going to make them more stressed out and more afraid, um, which obviously affects the animal's quality of life, but also the quality of the meat and things like that. And then when, you know, the further away the animal gets, sort of the less control you have over really how the processing is happening and what's going on. Um, but there are just all these sort of like liability and loophole rules around you can't do it right where you are on your farm in some cases, um, which is really unfortunate. And another thing that I learned, for example, um, for people who are like, so there's some, some parts in the book talking about how to like establish relationships with your butchers to find out like who's good, who knows what's going on, what kind of questions to ask and things like that. And one question to ask that I hadn't even thought of in terms of like where your organs are coming from is that if you send your beef off to a processor and you ask for the organs back, you aren't necessarily getting the organs from your, mm -hmm. your animal. So you need to like ensure that that happens and things like that, that you wouldn't even think of. Right. So um, it's, it is too bad. I mean, I get that it's, there's like a whole infrastructure that has to be completely changed in order to allow some of these more like local independent farms to do everything from start to finish. And I know that that's not something that happens overnight, but it would be very good and helpful yeah, for us yeah. if it could. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Decentralize that whole thing. Well, I mean, um, mm -hmm. I, I know um, uh, Mark Ripto raised me a cow a couple of years ago and uh, the one we, he ended up taking it off to the, you know, off to the processor. Uh, I wanted it hung for like 40, 50 days, you know, and I think the longest that they normally hang is like 28 and like to f go through and find somebody that would actually mm -hmm. hang the meat longer than, you know, cause most of the places what they'll do is, uh, they'll hang it and then they'll process it and then they'll like, you know, hang it again and you know, you get the dry age, but I wanted the whole thing dry aged. And then the problem is, is over time as you, as you hang it, it obviously loses volume cause you know, water evaporates. So like, you know, you had 400 pounds now you have 300 pounds and the price goes up, but like trying to get that meat hung to 40 days and then the ground beef, which I always think that's how you judge an animal is not on like the steaks, but how like the ground beef, which is just kind of a medley of everything yeah. thrown in. And like, that was some of the best ground beef I had. So I'm talking about it, my mouth keeps watering, which is even more funny, but yeah, no, I would say it's, it's, it, it's interesting to find like to have a request and then realize that there's different things in place to prevent this. And you're like, how, wait, why, why is this? And you know, mm -hmm. can I ask you guys a question that's sort of on topic, but not, and I just, I'm interested. What is the, like the most intimidating or grossest thing that you guys have ever eaten? Like you tried something new and you were really sad that you did. Well, uh, I'll tell you what I chickened out of. The Luke and I went to South Korea and we went to oh, one yeah. of the, these Same. markets. So all these little shops and there was food available and there was an octopus in a tank and we saw... The dude the live pull, ones? Yeah, yeah, live octopus. Yeah. Dude, pull out just one of the, the tentacles, chop it off, and then cut it into little pieces, put it on a plate, and just serve this old Korean gentleman mm -hmm. sitting next to the tank like it was a bar top. Yeah, and then, the, you know, they're still kind of doing their thing and yeah. squirming and alive. Well, and they'll grow another tentacle. Well, you guys both, didn't do it? No. Neither of you did it? Ashley, we didn't. And I don't know that I would Come do it on. again. I know I'm a huge, huge wimp. Piece of work. Yeah, yeah. huge piece of work. Um, that one is up there for sure, tax for me as well. I'm trying to think of anything else. That we executed? We, uh, because we, like when we were in South Africa, we did a whole bunch of weird stuff down there. Yeah. It we had a meal, maybe 250 different species or something, mostly fish. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. 
Crap. Alligator, oh. kangaroo. Uh, I had deep fried gator tail, which was pretty mm-hmm. wild. Oh, you know, um, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, uh, deep fried gator tail. But I, I was telling, well, we told the story the other day, but when I was in Japan, uh, they ate a lot of weird shit in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the weirdest one, we went to this Italian restaurant and they brought stuffed shells, but they weren't stuffed shells. They were, I believe they were cuttlefish sperm sacks that were made to look like stuffed ravioli. So when you put it in your mouth, all of a sudden this thing like explodes in your mouth. And I'm like, that wasn't a ravioli. And they're like, no, that's a sperm sack. Mm-hmm. And um, we ate So was it gross because it was sperm sacks or was it gross because it tasted gross? Uh, it didn't taste bad. It was just kind of a really like, it's, it's one of those things where you weren't expecting it. As I bit into it, I wasn't expecting for it to explode like a pop rock in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, that's kind of a creamy sauce. And then they were like, no, <laughs> that would be a sperm sack. And I was like, ah, okay. Like, I, I'm i not necessarily weirded out by that stuff. Like, I know we, um, I mean, I, I watched these guys kill a gator, chop it up, and deep fry it in peanut oil, and we ate that, and it was like kind of a fishy chicken. Delish, but I, I'm yeah. trying to think of anything So one thing weird. I had in Australia that I was not, like, I was pretty jazzed about, and it was new, and probably early on in my, like, carnivore voyage was kangaroo tail. Mm. Um, and, like, you know, they sear it, and it comes out pretty rare. And, like, I just didn't get down on it. You know, I wasn't like... What about zebra? Did you guys have zebra? I finished it. I feel like we have. I'm pretty sure. I've had zebra, and I thought zebra was delicious. Mm -hmm. And then also... Kangaroo's really tough, though, right? Like, kangaroo has zero fat on it, too. Yeah, so it's super lean, kind of gamey, and it is, like, it is... It is... It is rough to chew, right? Like, and then I had it minced. I had, like, a kangaroo burger. That was fine, you know? But, like, the kangaroo tail filet... I wasn't super jazzed about. I'm not big on, um, I think the only thing that I would be a little hesitant on is rodents. Like, I'm like, I'm, I just have like never, you know, like the age old, like, man, mm-hmm. uh, uh, sewer wrap might taste like pumpkin pie, but I ain't going to eat, eat the dirty motherfucker. <laughs> like, I, I think some of the, uh, the rodent stuff is pretty weird. Um, but I, the closest I ever got to that, I've, I ate pigeon in, uh, in Egypt, which is basically like a flying rodent. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was pretty good. Cause it's yeah. like, you know, if you like, if you like, like small, like pheasant and quail mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. even duck kind of like dark meat, um, which I do, it was pretty good, but it's also, and probably similar to rodents. It's a lot more work for very little reward. Cause there's not yeah. a lot of meat on those things, but that makes me think, have you guys watched the show alone? Mm-mm. Oh, oh my so. God. Okay. I don't know if you're big TV watchers. I don't even own a TV. It's on Amazon Prime. But this is one of the best shows that I've seen in a very long time. Maybe it's extra good because of the pandemic and all of the like apocalyptic feelings that it brings up in people. Mm-hmm. But it's a reality show where survivalists go out usually into like the Canadian Arctic or somewhere oh, very I rugged see and unpleasant. I did a preview for this. I saw a preview for this. You, yeah, you just have to live out there until the last man standing, man or woman. And you get like 10 things that you get to bring with you. So anything from like a tarp to a pan to an axe or whatever. And it shows how these people live and how they survive. Um, and it's really incredible. Like as far as reality TV goes, it's the best you've ever seen because mm-hmm. it is the absolute realist. And they're by themselves. So they have their own cameras. So they're like talking to themselves for three months, you know, as they slowly starve. Um, but some of them are better than others and you see some of these people make like log cabins with their hands it's incredible and people who can hunt and fish and and um be so incredibly resilient um, mentally that they can survive being 
completely alone and uncomfortable for such a long period of time. And of course it makes those of us sitting there like eating our burger while we're watching it. I'm like, I'm a waste of a human, but like, it's very, very like really inspiring and really, mm -hmm. really cool to watch. And, um, but some of these people are, you know, they're eating slugs and they're eating rodents and they're eating whatever the hell they can find. Do they get um, to wear clothing? Or or, yeah, no, they get clothing. It's, it's not it's naked not and afraid. afraid. They get to wear clothes. Actually, it's holy hell. So, so what, uh, if, if you, and I, I, we had an interesting talk with Rob about this. Uh, people can endure for a really long time if they have warmth and their stomach is full. Like yeah. if you have a shelter where you can like, you know, get away from like the elements and stay warm and your stomach is somewhat full. It doesn't have to be like overly like I'm so stuffed. I ate too much pizza. But like, hey, like I'm, I'm hungry. I have right? enough. Your your ability to deal with just about anything can extend. It's when yeah. all of a sudden you're cold and you're hungry. Now all of a sudden like the mental, but it's like if you have like a, a you know a, a warm place where you're safe where you can actually sleep mm -hmm. and a somewhat full, full belly, you can endure for a really long time with some pretty awful shit. The mindset part of it is is incredible too because I actually um, I have a podcast too. Maybe you gentlemen can come on and chat what's, with me sometime. What's the name of the podcast? It's called Muscle Maven Radio because I'm a muscle maven. Um, but I'm having a guest from alone on the show soon. Sweet. It's, she is the second runner-up from the last season, which is the craziest, most insane season. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but it's no spoilers. fucking nuts. But anyway, <laughs> she she came second, and she was only she only lost because she was physically removed because she lost so much weight that she wasn't allowed to continue. Mm -hmm. But she is incredible because she was, and I've watched all the seasons now. I've binged watched all of them because. I'm obsessed. She was out of every single person on every single show. She was the most positive in a way that was incredible to watch because mm -hmm. she was so grateful to be there. She was also a different kind of personality because she kind of really didn't mind being alone. Um, but she just looked at every single thing like an opportunity and like she was so grateful when something good happened, but when something bad happened, it wasn't because the world was conspiring against her. She was just her mind. She was the most mentally strong person i've probably mm -hmm. ever seen or encountered so she, and I'm she just her... needed like a thyroid problem or like a, a like, like a thyroid <laughs> well, or like hyperglycemic because then she wouldn't have lost any weight oh and goodness. she wouldn't have got taken off because if you have those problems you can't lose weight even though you're not eating a lot mm -hmm. the first thing i say every time i watch the season is i'm like why aren't you guys fattening up every single person goes on the show like looking like they're like relatively Dude. fit to skinny i'm like what is wrong with you have you so, watched the, the show before the, the, <laughs> This is my favorite thing. Like we've dealt with this for so many years. People are like, well, I have a glandular problem. I have uh, you know, thyroid. I can't lose weight and this, and they get into all these problems. And I'm like, have you ever seen anybody come from naked afraid that doesn't lose 40 pounds? Like all those people like come in, like they, you know, uh, like, like this type of thing. And I'm like, oh, maybe you should just have a thyroid issue when you go on that and you'll never lose any weight and you'll be fine. It just doesn't it, like, this is a, a huge frustration where it's like, if you uh, look at all of these shows, I mean, they put these people in these horrific things. They're on like four to five hundred calories a day. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets ghostly skinny, and you're like, yep. okay, like it, like it's not like, well, this guy, you know, was healthy. He's this. I mean, if anything, when they get to the end and they do their blood work on naked and afraid, they're like, this person's fucked up. Oh yeah, yeah. The other nutrition thing that really kind of stuck out watching this show um, for me, and it's one of those things where you can study it and research it and read and learn from smart people all you want, but when you see it in like real life settings it really kind of brings it home was the importance of dietary animal fat um, because and I'm not a big keto person like I've kind of experimented with all of it and I don't particularly for my own goals and body type and the way I like to eat it just doesn't necessarily work 
super well for me. Um, so I was never like a huge keto advocate for myself personally, but these, these people were, you know, if they were really good hunters, they were catching in the Arctic. Anyway, they were catching like a lot of rabbits. They were catching hares, which were all protein and zero fat. Um, and they had no fat sources. They had very little carb sources. Not that it mattered. Like a, a handful of berries isn't keeping you alive in the long term, no matter what anyway. Um, but these people, and some of them were like people who came in and they were like plant experts and botanists and people who, you know, of course eat meat, but aren't huge meat eaters. And they're like, I would just kill a man for some fat, just for some a fatty piece of animal meat right now. It's all I want in my life. And then when they would find something, they'd catch a fish, they'd catch a salmon, their entire behavior changed. Mm -hmm. Everything about them changed yeah. when they got some fat. Cause there is that whole like rabbit starvation thing, yeah, right? Rabbit. Like if you're only yeah. eating, you know, protein, but like carbs don't fucking matter. Protein very much matters. It will keep you alive. But if you don't have that protein and fat combination, yeah. you're still going to die. You're just going to die slower. Well, <laughs> that was the Inuit Indians. Uh, they would, you know, catch seals and they would ferment and have like the seal blubber and they would put it yeah. in these like huge bags, like skin sacks, and they would consume that over the winter. And if they ran out, like they were like, protein isn't going to keep me alive. Yeah. I watched this thing on National Geographic years ago, back when I was in college, but it was these extreme scenarios in which people survived and they interviewed and one of the scenarios, a dude was just in a life raft. So the sun was beating down on him, and he was able to spear and catch fish. And I forget the time frame, but he was just only eating the, the meat, the muscle part of the fish. And eventually his brain just started craving weird parts, so the, the fish liver, the eyeballs. And so he was still eating the meat, but then just exploring all these different parts of mm -hmm. the fish. And his body was just inherently telling him, you need these different nutrients yeah, built the to survive. Well, they found that with like, like scurvy, for example. I mean, if they ate liver and they ate organ meats, they could avoid scurvy. I mean, it's pretty... But they, they would get the cravings. So, like, if I'm craving pizza, it's because my body needs it. <laughs> well, it's because yeah, like yeah let's go with pizza. that. <laughs> Not any kind of pizza. Like, I'm talking Lou like Malnati's? Lou Malnati's. Oh god, uh, what's that place in Berkeley? Uh, Papa. No, it's um, Johnsville. No, <laughs> it's. It'll come to me. Uh, Zach Zachary's Zachary. Pizza. Zachary. Littering Zachary's Pizza. So there's this place down in Oakland, like uh, outside Berkeley off of uh, college that makes like the most amazing uh, deep dish Chicago style pizza. And um, I tend to avoid gluten for obvious reasons. But like for this place, I'll take the gluten bomb. Like, I'm like, mm -hmm. no problem, I'm going to get bombed. So I take Texas. it's worth it. No, dude, this yep. is one I'm saying worth it. I take Texas' place, and, like, I, I was hyping it, and I know he's probably like, ah, all right, all right. We sit down, and they bring it over, and he's like, you weren't lying. I'm like, no, no, this is the best pizza in the world. And uh, oddly enough, I didn't get gluten bombed. Mm. It's so hit or miss, man. Like, I can eat something, get, like, and be like, I'm going to die. And then other times, no problems. I need to come down to you guys sometime when I don't have to uh... – quarantine when I return, but I've been doing a little bit of traveling the last few months because I'm fortunate I have dual citizenship, so I can go back and forth while other people aren't allowed, but I still have to quarantine when I come back. And that two weeks, I mean, again, I, I watch alone and I'm like, I'm a wuss because I'm complaining about two weeks where I'm stuck in my house, but it's fucking miserable <laughs> when you can't leave the house and go to the, go for a walk and go to the gym and have fresh air and, you know, go get your own Are you groceries. guys not allowed it's to really leave miserable. your homes? We can, we just, if we travel, when we come back, uh, and this is just where I am, when you come back from traveling out of the country, you have to quarantine. Whether you take a test and get a negative test or not, you still have to quarantine, which is, you know, a whole thing, but it's miserable. I've done it a couple of times and I don't like to do it. So I'm, I'm waiting for the time that that they come up with a better solution. Um, cause that sucks, but 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, no, uh, it, you know, like if you're into meat, Austin's a pretty good place. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah who, who is it? Uh, Jesse Sproles has, um, I follow her Instagram and she's got a bitch and cookbook that has all these different barbecues and meats and stuff. And, uh, she's definitely pretty switched on and does some like butchery classes and some things. So I'd always like to have gone and done some of that stuff. I mean, all the butchery stuff I've done has been like more like, you know, hanging as you're like, you know, cutting things out. But to be able to actually go in there and cut the animal up would be pretty amazing to, to get into that. Yeah. What do you what do you do for your training and working out? You said you did CrossFit and some powerlifting. What's what do you do now? Yeah, I would say for the last few years, it's really just been sort of like maintenance for fun, bodybuilding style kind of stuff. Um, I, I like to have a goal. I usually have something that I'm working towards, whether it was, you know, for a while I was competing. And, um, so I'd be training specifically for that. But for the last, um, couple of years, I've been trying to focus more, I guess, on my career than trying to do anything cool in the gym. So, um, but I'm, I'm somebody who really just kind of likes to learn all the time. So I like to be, you know, I go in the gym every day and I weight lift cause it's fun. And then I'll be doing jiu-jitsu or I'll take boxing classes or I'll do something so that I'm like learning a skill as well um because as much as I love being in the gym and just kind of like lifting barbells I want to be like using my brain too so I was actually pretty into the like boxing and jiu-jitsu thing before again everything shut down and we're not allowed to touch other people so that's kind of done but I like everybody else I've started to really juice up my home gym so I like got like a you know a pull-up bar and I got one of those guys, you know, the like Bob guy that you can punch. So I've got one of him so I can, you know, get my <laughs> catharsis out at home. I don't have to go somewhere to You're do it. Troll. You're like a vegan. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, take this potato. Anyway. Yeah. So I do that. Um, but no, I mean, I really, I, I think it's one of those things that's like consistency over time. It's um, I've been learning as I get older, you know, I'm in my thirties that like it's minimum effective dose. Like I like to go to the gym a lot because it's fun and it's therapy for me and I enjoy it, but I don't need to be in the gym every day. And if I miss a day, feel guilty. I'm, I'm starting to get past that point, which feels good. And I think, um, our current situation has helped me a lot with that because I was forced to take more time off and realize what I could do with limited resources and how, um, my consistency over, you know, a decade or more of, of working out has, meant that I still have my kind of functional fitness. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I don't have a barbell for a couple of months, it's not going to kill me. And, um, so, but with that said, I'm getting pretty bored. Like I do want to go back to the gym. I want to do something fun. I want to sign up for something. And I just, I'm kind of just waiting at this point. Um, you know, I like ETA? to ski and stuff too. Is there an ETA um, on any of this stuff? No, I mean, like we we're basically going like weeks at a time, you know, for, for a while in here in Ontario, we were, doing pretty good. Like in, in the summer and the fall, things were open. We were living our life. And then, you know, as everyone kind of knew it was going to come with the winter months and numbers kind of went up and Canada, we tend to be a little bit more of like a rule following people generally. So when everyone's like, uh Oh, numbers, like everybody shut her down. We're all like, okay, I guess like no one mm-hmm. likes it, but we, for the most part, listen, the thing I'm worried about now, and this is like globally is that the difference between this year and the first winter that we went through this on one hand, we're less afraid, um, which I think is good, but also because we're less afraid and we're more frustrated, we're not, we're just not going to be as compliant. Like we're not going to sit in our houses all winter and do nothing and like not see the sunshine because we're over it. And because of that reason, the numbers maybe aren't going to go down to where people want them to. And then where are we, you know? And I, I mean, don't get me started on the gyms being closed when I can go to fucking the mall and like touch everything that everybody else has touched and like go to the liquor store. And the, there's a cigar shop down the street from where I live and I can go to Cinnabon and I can't 
go to a stupid gym like that right, that right. really pisses me off but again these things are out of your control so i can just be irritated and stew about it all day or i can go into my gym and do what yeah, i can build your you home know? gym right yeah exactly. no i mean uh we really saw a rise of i mean we've always advocated for you know having your own training space so you can get your own equipment and you know you don't have to adhere to anybody's time but yeah. when the pandemic hit man like uh, i don't think if another shutdown comes in terms of a mass scale, people will be as unprepared. People will have prepared right. and bought their own equipments and have their own gyms and have a known solution. And I honestly think most people won't go back. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, why there's a good you? amount of chatter there. Right. I, I definitely will. I mean, I've, I've learned, like, I, I consider myself somewhat of an introvert. Like, I like, I like to be around people, and I like to go out and do things, but, like, very much on my own time and then retreat when I want to. But I really feel like the, the physical part of my life was very much the social part as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I miss it. I do miss going out and, like, hanging out with meatheads and, you know, working out together and stuff. So that part of it, I mean, every time the gym shuts down and opens here, I'm, like, the first one back. I'm, like, I don't care. Like, whatever. At this point, just bring it on. I I'll probably be okay. Like, that's kind of my attitude at this point. I'm not saying in a reckless way or, like, I'm trying to downplay what's happening. But for myself personally, mm -hmm. I think that the risk of, of getting it is outweighed by the risks of continuing to live a inside sad dark life until right, right. you know things start up again so yeah. I, I agree with you yeah cool what else we got i think that's good so unless you I got anything recommend. more for the book but so uh, actually we have the muscle maven radio yep as the podcast and then your social yes. is also the muscle maven the muscle maven that's right and uh i have a website um where you can reach out to me or find anything and that's just my name ashleyvanhouten.com um, and I also and a very one nice other website at that very well designed. I liked uh, the whites and the aesthetics. And as I was mm -hmm. going through a site, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is very, very pleasing to look at. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I um, I did not do it. Someone <laughs> smart did. I paid someone I, smart to do that for me. Uh, they, they did a good <laughs> job. It, like, like sometimes when, when I go to people's websites, like I, I feel like uh, anxiety where you're like, oh, mm, let me click out of this. What's like, going to happen? Caldeets, <laughs> dude. Yeah. Where like, you know, like, like the pictures like this and the, the uh, two <laughs> oldest websites on the internet are spacejam.com and Paul Carter's lift run bang. <laughs> oh yeah. Lift run bangs. knife. Yeah. Those poor guys. Space Jam? Yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm, writing this, I'm writing this down. Go to Space. So spa they kept the original Space Jam site up because it, at the time they launched it, it was the most like advanced website because it had embedded video, like the movie trailers on there, uh, the animations, everything is like state of the art for the time. And then you look at it now and like, we, we'll get it. We'll get it. But I bet you if you were to show like Jamie and Killy, they'd be like, what is this, Dad? <laughs> so it's, it's a way back machine. Yeah, <laughs> little little known fact. Awesome. The the only other thing that I um, can shamelessly plug while I'm on here because it actually might be relevant to um, some of your listeners is um, the other thing that I accomplished in quarantine is I created a program for the first time, something oh. that I've been working on for a really long time. It's very hyper specific, but it's aimed on getting people their first or a better pull up. Mm. Um, and I the reason why I did it is because I again found when I um, started getting into gymnastics and CrossFit and things like that and learning a proper strict pull-up is an incredibly functional but also very empowering movement mm. and especially for women you know that's obviously changing but there is still sort of that if you look at like military fitness um 
you know, things where it's like men have to do 10 pull-ups and women just have to hold themselves for 10 seconds or whatever. Like there is still a little bit of that narrative that it's so much harder for us. Like why even bother you can't or whatever. Um, and for men too, I mean, you see, I see a ton of dudes doing real bad range of motion in the gym, doing 50 of these instead of like one strict pull-up. And, you know, when you learn through CrossFit, you learn how to swing around and do 50 kipping pull-ups and you can't do one strict one. So anyway, I felt like it was a really, um, a really specific, tangible goal that people can work towards instead of like, Hey, get shredded in 30 days. It's like, learn how to do this one very specific movement and you're going to get really strong. You're going to get a nice big muscular back and it's very functional and all that stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, I spent a lot of time on that and, uh, I launched it, I think just before Christmas and I've had men and women going through it, the the way the program works online, you can like interact with me personally and ask me questions and there's videos and all kinds of stuff. Um, so I've been really excited about that and seeing, seeing people start getting better at it. So that's a fun thing that I want. Sure. Where where do we find it on a webpage? Uh, yeah. So it's, um, you can just the link, uh, my like link in bio on, um, Instagram. Cause it's not on my website yet. It's like a separate program gotcha. uh, platform. It's not an app. It's like a web-based platform. Um, so you can check that out, but it's yeah. Called jacked back. And, um, yeah, I want lots of people to get in there and start doing good pull-ups. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on and regaling us with stories and sending us a copy of this mission book and uh, getting to know you. So, uh, hopefully yeah, maybe you. sometime in the near ante or non quarantine future, we'll get a chance to meet up and, uh, go from there. I would love that. Thank you guys so much for your time. And it wasn't really too pun heavy, right? No, disappointingly. (sighs) Yeah, we could have done more puns, but we'll be fine. (laughs) Next time. Awesome. You're desperately seeking a pun, aren't you? I guess we didn't have enough guts. Oh, there we go. We can do better. And then we ran out of time. Like, you know, the... Thyme? Thyme. (laughs) Ran out of thyme. Yeah, Yeah. no, we can do better. We'll work on it. Cool. Uh, Round two. two. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can follow Ashley Van Houten on Instagram at the muscle maven or visit her website, Ashley Van Houten. That's H O U T E N until next time.